This episode contains discussions of pedophilia, rape, trafficking, and sexual violence. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Domination Committee, a monthly podcast where we discuss villains from media and history, what makes a good villain, and what makes a bad villain better. I'm your host, Exala, and I've been an unreliable narrator. And I'm your other host, Trinzala, and I'm the nymphette that you've been searching for. Ooh la la. Oh yes. So, what are we diving into today, Preto? Mm, we're covering a villain from literature. Today's villain is Humbert Humbert from Vladimir Nabokov's infamous Lolita. A postmodern novel, really kind of like a tragedy comedy, but it's kind of hard to say it's a comedy with like yeah. most of it being tragic. There's a few funny bits in there, but mostly it's just sad. Right. And it was uh, written in 1955. And I think a lot of the story kind of takes place during that time period. Yeah. Post-World Wars, but still in a new world, so to speak. Exactly. And I guess to give a little bit of background on this novel, the uh, writer Nabokov was actually of Russian descent, but our protagonist, Humbert Humbert, is French. And a lot of French is thrown around in that book, which we'll explain why later. Um, Essentially, Humbert is narrating this novel as part of a memoir he wrote in a prison cell, so... Or a mental hospital prison cell. Yeah. He's imprisoned, he's writing his novel, because it's never been done before. It's never been done before. <laughs> kind of like Sod in a way, I guess. Yeah, um, all these fucked up guys doing novels in prisons. <laughs> Not the actual author. So no, no. The, yeah. ma- the main character of this book is writing this novel, five years after the events that he describes within it. So basically, he's this broody... French Swiss guy from the old world who is obsessed with nymphettes or basically young women. Very not even young women, girls. Girls. That's a better way to say it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And Humbert falls for a twelve year old child named Dolores Hayes. Or Lolita, as or he'll come to call her. Lo or Dolly. Right. Lots of pet names for her. And he basically kidnaps her and then like goes on this wild road trip. Like, not escaping the law, but trying to escape inner demons, maybe? We'll yeah, get I guess to it. so. We'll, we'll get yeah. to it. <laughs> so, how did we discover Humbert Humbert? Well, I also read this book in my journey of, like, what's the most fucked up books I can find. So, it started with, like, 120 Days of Sodom. Oh my God. And then, uh, eventually, I was like, okay, this Lolita book, because I'm I'm not, I don't like this topic. It's controversial. So. It's banned. Let me be an edgelord. Yes, yes. Uh, and this this uh, topic like kind of disgusts me to no end, so I'm like, okay, must face my fears, must read the book. Fair enough. How about you? Uh, how did you like come across this in any other way? I think I had heard of it in like certain high school reading lists, but I actually came 
to know about it from a movie called Captain Fantastic. Not it's a great movie. Yeah, it's not an, at all related to the contents of Lolita, but the uh, main character of this movie is a dad raising a bunch of kids on a school bus in like a counterculture way, and his 14-year-old daughter's reading assignment is to read Lolita, and she discusses it with him and kind of how it's fucked up because she's made to empathize with this 37-year-old protagonist, even though she herself, like the daughter, was a 14-year-old girl and should be emphasizing with Lolita more. Right. So I thought in this movie it was interesting that this like dad is like going through this book and actually having in-depth conversation rather than shunning it like people do when they ban books so right yeah i would actually say this is probably like would be a really good uh for like advanced classes in like middle school yeah like gifted and talented reading or something yes especially since these situations can kind of pop up and if someone's actually there to discuss the book with you you can kind of find some red flags that uh, maybe a youngin should look out for. Oh, yeah. I, I could see so many instances where this would be a practical application, like looking out for people like Humbert Humbert. And so for today's quotations, obviously our source is Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. So with that, I guess we can get into not the story quite yet. How about the foreword? Which is funny because it's a foreword that's a fictional foreword. Yeah, written by a fictional PhD guy. Which is kind of fun. It kind of reminds me, uh, there was this book called uh, Go Ask Alice that was really popular when I was growing up, and it was supposed to be like a diary of like a girl, and it's supposed to be like a true story about like, and like she gets into drugs and gets all messed up. It's actually entirely a work of fiction that was like supposed to go like against like an anti-drug campaign. So it kind of reminds me of that. That's how this entire book is written. Yeah, it sounds kind of like realistic. Um, right. It sounds like a, like an actual person is sitting in a mental hospital writing this, and there's a foreword from his like psychologist. Yeah, exactly. So this fictional psychologist, John Ray Jr., receives this manuscript from Humbert Humbert. And this manuscript is called Lolita, or The Confessions of a White Widowed Male. Because, you know, straight white male, it'll be a long road ahead. Boo. <laughs> oh, that's my name, but longer. Anyway, Dr. Ray acknowledges that the contents of this manuscript and all of the actions that Humbert has described are despicable, but the writing is very well done and it's beautiful and persuasive. Not a single obscene term is to be found in the whole work. Indeed, the robust Philistine who is conditioned by the modern conventions into accepting a lavish array of four-letter words will be quite shocked by their absence here. Which was actually true to form. I found it pretty surprising that for the subject matter of a 37-year-old man, like, going after a 12-year-old girl, there's not anything, like, super explicit. It's almost the opposite, but on the same spectrum of 120 Days of Sodom, where Sod describes these acts of horrendous things in vivid detail in Lolita. They are kind of uh, painted over with flowery words where it's implied what is happening, and it makes it almost more horrifying. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of innuendos that are, like, sprinkled about um, that are just horrifying because you're all like, huh, oh. oh, oh, yeah. yeah. It's not like uh, Saad's uh, description of uh, more <laughs> more straightforward. Yeah, like, Saad puts it all out on the table, but Humbert, as a narrator, is like, I'm going to let you imagine, but not actually, but you know exactly what I'm on about. And then putting, like, pretty words over disgusting acts just, ooh. Shutters. Yeah, Shutters. yeah. 
the doctor also indicates that this novel, although fictional, and the character fictional, will become a favorite in psychiatric circles, as well as encourage parents to raise better children in a better world. And I think even though this is a fictional forward by a fictional doctor, these statements are actually kind of true to form. Yeah, it's actually interesting. This is a uh, fictional psychologist, but I believe that this book is actually uh, was analyzed in some of the other sources I was seeing mm-hmm. online. Like, I think the American Psychiatric Institute or something like that actually had like an entire paper on this book. Yeah. So not only like this is a fictional foreword, but with that ending kind of sentence from the foreword, it's actually been studied <laughs> in like psychological institutes and whatnot, which is pretty interesting. And I think even if it necessarily hasn't affected how parents raise better children in a better world, I think there is some straining of this pop culture media phenomenon that parents are very wary about who are around their children. And maybe they've heard a little bit about Lolita or the horrible things that happen, or just also know that there are bad people out there, that it's still something that is on people's mind when, like, I want to protect my kid from people like Humbert. You know, it might actually be interesting if they did a version of this, but, like, uh, if someone wrote, like, a modern-day version of this, but it's, like, all, like, online, that'd actually be a really interesting book. Yeah, there's so many forums where there's just creeps out there that are preying on children. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's get into the main creep today. Yes, yes, we've covered that forward, but we'll start with Humbert's early life, I guess. So, Humbert was born in 1910 in Paris, uh, a Swiss citizen of French and Austrian descent, and he grew up on a Riviera, kind of spoiled, kind of not, you know, like, upper middle class. Yeah. To quote the book, everyone liked me, everybody petted me. So, he he grew up, like, decently, at least in his early adolescence, until a freak accident stole his mother from him. She was struck by lightning during a picnic. You know, I find this kind of hard to believe. <laughs> oh, yeah, it sounds very exaggerated. And maybe this is the first inkling that Humbert's going to be an unreliable or at least over-dramatized narrator. Definitely over-dramatized, kind of like hiding the facts. But a lightning storm during the picnic, maybe his like father taught him like this kind of like rationalization. I have no idea. It's a but little bit like too convenient of a tragic death. Right. Now, but he I just would, like skips right over this. Yeah, like, and so that's why I say it's not a point of trauma for him. No. He's just like, well, I was three. She died in a lightning storm. Cool. The end. But then after that, in 1923, he continues having a decent childhood and going to school in Lyon, France. Now, after going to school in Lyon, Humbert experienced something that was fascinating and also more traumatizing than his mother's death. Quote, in the glitter of that remote summer, the rift in my life began, unquote. Humbert falls in love with a 12-year-old girl named Annabelle, and at this point, he is 13. Yeah, so this is perfectly normal. There's no creepy age gap. It's nice and, like, mostly wholesome. They are trying to steal fleeting kisses and, like, touch each other a little bit, but the parents are always around, and they're like, oh, this love that we cannot bring to fruition. Yeah, their parents are, like, always like, hey, uh, you can go out of earshot, but not out of eyesight. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, they're like, always hanging out in the sand like like, ooh, i can push my hand under the sand to meet your hand yeah they won't see that so they have the whole summer of like this really close and they are always horny wanting to fuck but they never can because annabelle dies of typhus i think they do but we can get to that a little bit later annabelle dying 
was something that always haunted Humbert. And I think one could say this is his actual threshold trauma on the villain's arc. Most definitely. He will never forget about this girl. No. Never. Like, it is stuck permanently in his mind as, It's kind of like a driving factor almost for him. Yes, it's one of his main motivations. Yeah. To quote Humbert, I am convinced, however, that in a certain magic and fateful way, Lolita began with Annabelle. So that is foreshadowing, of course. Either that or it could be a justification in his mind, but Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it's trying to kind of, like, chase the dragon, but... It's also sometimes kind of feels like an excuse. Yeah, fair enough. After this loss of a loved one, Humbert goes to college in London and Paris. He grows up and gets a job as an English literature teacher. After which, he bounces around with from job to job and doing sort of like odd jobs, mostly like reviewing papers. Yeah, um, it's always in the writing field. Studying things like history and literature and whatnot, and then like publishing them but it's more like meta-analysis and i yeah. think from a lot of this he uh learns a lot about like the psychology field and whatnot and a ton of things from history a, a very well-read dude um however he has he's kind of still fucked up and it's like ends up going to a few sanatoriums yeah i think later on in the book he describes he's plagued by some kind of psychic ailment maybe depression and unsavory predilections he's completely Uh, neurotic yeah he's always on the edge so it kind of makes sense that this guy is going to be bouncing around from jobs and from institutions but i think even though he doesn't have an explicit mentor being a part of so many psychiatric places kind of mentored him in a way not that one would expect of like learning the ropes but learning how to deceive yeah he even starts to take pleasure in uh tricking the psychologist uh, when he goes into like mental institutions and then like being like, oh, I've read the like the DSM whatever and I know what tricks you're gonna play, so I'm gonna make you think I'm even crazier than you think. Yeah. I'm gonna make you going crazy. Exactly. By, uh, me being crazy. He got excited by finding in his file that they're like, oh, we think he's a homosexual and is infertile, and he's like, ha, pulled a one up on y'all. I'm not gay. I'm a pedophile. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> So I I think he really learns, like, some tricks of the trade off, like, how the human mind works here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So maybe there's not, like, a mentor in specific, but it might just be kind of the psychologist around him. If he can try to fool them, he kind of learns about, like, the mental tricks, like, trying to get a patient to do something specific. He learns a lot of manipulation and how to, like, put on a face, essentially, which he uses a lot later. Right. After getting out of institutions... He continues to do his thing, bouncing around odd jobs, but he starts really dallying with sex workers in the area. Specifically, and this is mostly because he's, like, missing his Annabelle. Yeah, and specifically he goes after the ones that look like young girls. He misses Annabelle in her 12-year-old state, even though now he is an adult, so he's trying to find these young sex workers to get his rocks off and fulfill his pleasure. And one specific one that's noted is one that's uh, named Monique, and it is a sex worker who says that she's 18, but it's heavily implied that she's a lot younger, like yeah. maybe 16. or. And something. Humbert likes that. He likes kind of that being deceived, like, oh. But it's interesting because he eventually sleeps with the sex worker, but the day after, he's not interested at all. No. Which is kind of, it's a bizarre thing. There's like a little bit of a purity thing, I think, that is in his mind. Like, Annabelle not having ever had sex with him is like this pure virginal figure in his mind and after he has sex with like these young sex workers 
the day after he's, he's all like, like oh you're dirty uh yeah. you've been defiled he always exp- explains it like they look older now right yeah like i can't be with them anymore oh they're just about to like start getting fat and growing thick hair <laughs> oh no yeah he has a really like horrible way about talking about girls and women in general <laughs> Oh, yeah. And even guys, he has a very distorted view on, like, everyone who's not necessarily a child. Yeah. Or not necessarily him. He kind of views himself on this pedestal as well of, like, a superior, I- like, man of taste. Oh. oh, I can manipulate the psychologist. Oh, I'm such a great manipulator. Galaxy brain. These fool. I can't stand these fools with such a high IQ. <laughs> well, after his dalliance with sex workers, I think Humbert finally starts to understand his temptation and his motivation. Obviously, he's motivated by his loss and love for Annabelle, but he also realizes that he is only obsessed with what we described earlier as nymphets. Little girls, quote, between the age limits of 9 and 14, unquote, that reveal their true nature, which is not human, but nymph that is demoniac, unquote. And he really likes, like, He goes into great detail describing, like, oh, their tiny bodies, their silky smooth skin, how they don't have a care in the world, and they'll just say things, like, up front. He also spends hours parking himself on park benches and, like, reading a newspaper, but watching out of the corner of his eye as young girls play and just, like, basically drooling in his brain, like, oh, wow, look at them. He even gets a job at one point at a boarding school uh, teaching, like, kids and whatnot simply for the fact it's a boys school but there's like a girls school really close by mm-hmm. and he gets the job there only for the fact that he can watch these little girls and just kind of like drool over them so he has this like voyeuristic tendency as well yes and he uh he even like goes into his mind and he's like am i doing something wrong to these little girls by uh holding them in my head and like twisting them to my dark fantasies does it affect them at all so we can already see kind of his thought process yeah there is a little bit of a dilemma there he also tries to i guess reconcile with that dilemma like he has this back and forth he tries to explain that although his urges are illegal and they're not great and he's worried a little bit about him tainting the girls he also kind of brushes it off like oh it was fine back in the day oh in east indian provinces like oh rahab was a harlot at 10 years of age oh people used to get married at like 12 why do girls have periods at 12 anyway like he tries to rationalize it to make himself feel more okay which is i feel like people still kind of make these some copium yeah yeah (laughs) but like you hear so many excuses like that for various things like oh it was like that back in the day or like uh, make it right like the fucking maps community or whatever it's like yeah oh yeah like uh it's just expressing love it's just teaching young kids love like how where else please not in that way yeah yeah at the same time though he recognizes that he lives in a different society and tries to deny his urges trying to kind of like keep people pure and whatnot or like making sure they have a good childhood but at the same time he knows there's like a demon lurking in his like own subconscious yeah like even saying quote while my body knew what it craved for my mind rejected my body's every plea and i think that might be him also reconciling with like his role in society that masking effect of like i have to put on the good face i have to be a good guy right until no, no one, one can no one can see that demon i've hidden like far in the closet 
Yeah. But that's what he takes pleasure the most in, in his inner mind, is visiting that demon, hanging out, and <laughs> drinking some coffee, and being all like, hey, do you see those uh, those thigh-high socks on that uh, 10-year-old or 12-year-old? Well, in order to quell these demonic urges within his own head, he decides to get married. He meets an 18-year-old by playing chess with, like, a Polish doctor, and this 18-year-old is this doctor's daughter named Valeria. Now, while this is all legal, we should note that at this time, he's, what, in his late 30s, maybe early 40s? Uh, I think he's in his early to mid-30s at this point. Well, all... This is all still legal and whatnot. It's, it's still kind of it's weird. still weird, especially because his initial note about Valeria was that he's like, oh, she'll work because she looks like a kid at first. Right, yeah. She looks even younger than her age initially. And because he's good friends with uh, Valeria. This Polish doctor, yeah. It's like, okay, all this is on the up and up. Everything looks fine. Yeah. He also thinks it's going to not only quell his urges, but there will be some perks if he gets married. The comforts of domesticity of, like, just hanging out with somebody, like, having somebody do the chores for you, too. So he gets married to take advantage of the situation and also to repress what he actually wants. But it's weird. Even though Valeria looks like a child still and young it's not young enough for him no no like, the, after they consummate their marriage he goes on to describe the next morning how she became like this whale where her makeup was runny and she looked fat and sallow and like disgusting to him and he's like oh this well, isn't really what i wanted even during his wedding night like he describes like the wedding night and, like all his like lavish stuff and whatnot and everything's happy and then when he gets to like the very end of the night he's like oh we have to go through this part and I think he sees most people this way. Like you were talking about earlier, it's in contrast to the physical form of children. He can't get over that urge that he wants to see children, but he he signed up for this marriage. Right. And it's so bizarre because he calls, like, a ton of women fat and, like, throughout this, like, entire novel or, like, manatees or cows or, like, very flowery language. But I'd have to imagine most of these women are not fat or anything like that. They're actually just normal but they're big compared to what a child's body is yeah exactly and so he's like oh look at this lumbering hulk and it's like some girl is like 120 pounds okay or like 90 pounds (laughs) it's it's absolutely ridiculous now throughout this marriage this attempt to curb his desire to want to fuck children basically call it as it is doesn't quite work he's still a creeper he still does the same bullshit of sitting in parks watching girls play and thirsting after them and he even has an abusive relationship with Valeria. He actually will, like, sometimes put his hands on her, kind of, like... It, it, he doesn't say explicitly, but he kind of, like, beats her, tries to put her in her place. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, he literally says, oh, well, she should do what I say. I just need to go over there and make her do it. Right. But he doesn't, like, explicitly say, like, all of that and whatnot. So it doesn't sound like he's very good, and he kind of just treats Valeria like a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, he doesn't like being around her. He's like, yeah, whatever. Right, it's just, like, a good excuse to, like, sit at the bench at his boarding school and watch, like, the actual little girls. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't think Valeria's having a good time and starts to recognize this and is like, hey, you don't really sleep with me anymore. Like, I always have to, like, I can't eat uh, whatever I want because you have demands of, like, like, what my weight should be. I'm always doing the chores and, like, you don't really pick up the slack around the house. Like, you're not interested in me, my physical or mental well-being, or who I am as a person. She never says this outright, but we can start to see that their relationship is definitely dwindling. Right. Even to the point 
of where uh, they're in a taxi or something like that, and Blair's like, "Oh, I, I, I think I have something to tell you, uh, but I can only tell you, like, tell it to you at this coffee shop." Which that's already a big red flag. She doesn't feel comfortable telling him this at the house. Yeah, which, good on her. But they go to a coffee shop, and she's like, "So uh, about." Uh, the job offer you got to go to the United States. Okay, I don't think you mentioned that, but he did get a job offer. He was trying to get Valeria's passports in order to make a move to a new country where she breaks the news. Oh, I'm fucking a taxi driver. The taxi driver that took them to the coffee shop, actually. Yeah, and so it's this Russian guy, and he also seems kind of weird because, like, Valeria's not that much older at this point. Like, what, 1920? Yeah. And it's like this... 45-ish year old like uh retired military guy there's a common trend of like 40 something year old men going after young girls or women throughout this book there's a ton of like leonardo dicaprio <laughs> going on that's one way to put it but yeah essentially after valeria breaks the news that she's been cheating on humbert she actually brings the taxi driver in like they have this weird three-way conversation of like okay well I've been cheating on you, so I'm going to leave. And then the taxi driver's like, well, what's her like habits like? What kind of books would she like to read? Like, what is it like when she's on her period? And Humbert's there like, you've been cheating on me? How is this conversation going down? It sounds so awkward. And during the entire time he's fantasizing, he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. He suddenly yeah. gets super jealous. Now he cares about It's Gloria. weird. It's a weird shift because like he hasn't given any fucks, but now that somebody is actually interested in her and is basically taking her away from him, I think he's not mad about losing her. He's mad about losing his beard, so to speak. You or know, his, like the cover-up. Also, I think his power. Mm. I think he feels threatened. He feels uh, inadequate. Uh, this Russian guy like actually probably treats her better. I would imagine so. And uh, you can tell by his description... There is a, another book that had a good term for a character who said uh, description fucking. Yes. And I think uh, he really does that with a ton of characters in here. Like just description fucks him. And that uh, really actually shows his own emotions more than it does like what the characters are actually doing. Mm-hmm. Because the Russian taxi driver goes back to the house with Valeria to pick up the stuff because he doesn't to want move to leave her, out. her alone yeah. with uh, Humbert. Also a good call. <laughs> also a good call because he's all like, I'm going to smack the bitch. Uh, yeah, at this point, Humbert's like, oh, I could just push her out the window and fucking kill her. Yeah, like, he is pissed off. And so he, like, will describe the, like, the Russian man like, oh, he left piss in the toilet. He's so disgusting. Uh, he's smoking and whatnot. He's trying to, like, one-up my manhood by leaving his scent. Like, monkey brain. Yeah, like... He, he thinks this is his territory. But eventually the Russian uh, man and Valeria get out of there and uh, get away from this uh, creepy guy. Yeah, this creepy guy kind of sticks with his original plan and does end up moving to a New England town. And Yeah, I think initially he wasn't in New- the New England town. He actually went on a weird expedition in the north. Oh, yeah, we totally forgot that. Yeah, yeah. And he was just sitting there, and then eventually everyone's just like, he's like, oh, let me write down, like, notes about your experience up here in, like, the north. And then, like, everyone's like, we don't care. Like, just, can you please fuck off? Stop, like, writing books. And so he's just like, oh, I'm just kind of lost doing whatever. And so I think he eventually finds his way to uh, a New England town. Yeah. And initially, it's with the premise of being a tutor. He. Right. Is supposed to go live at basically this farm with a family who has a baby and, of course, like a 10, 12-year-old child that he's going to tutor in French because he's from France and he knows French. But luckily enough for that family, when he arrives, 
they don't show up until much later because their house burnt down. So <laughs> the dad is like, sorry, you can't tutor my daughter. We got to like fix this shit. So um, I have a friend in this town who's going to hold you up. And that friend is a woman named Charlotte Hayes. Which, wow. Wasn't that lucky on the that family's is, part. That's very convenient for them. Yeah. There's a lot of like happenstance luck. <laughs> right. So he is so pissed off about this he's like i thought i was gonna have a job i was gonna be around i thought i was gonna be around this 12 year old girl that i could thirst after yeah and then he's all like oh i was supposed to have nice cars and be like in a like a nice fancy new england uh type environment instead he goes over to live with uh charlotte as he said yeah and he's like, okay, fuck this. She's such a, like, old crone. Yeah. He initially tries to, like, not even show up at the door. Like, how can I get out of this situation? But because he's being surveilled, he's like, I have to go through with it. And he meets Charlotte, who is this, like, she sounds like a typical 1950s housewife. Single mom, actually. But, you know, mm-hmm. concerned with, like, a little bit of petty cares. Like, like doing her hair, reading about, like, French fashion magazine things. Wants to be kind of, like, you know, does some housework and it's just like a... Oh, would you like a pie? Like, kind of, um, ideal. But, like, he goes into this house and he just, like, immediately is, like, tearing it down and whatnot. Yeah, he's, he's like, like there's only one working trip. toilet, like... Yeah, he's very judgmental of her and her home. And that's probably because she's an older woman and she is actually having eyes for him. Like, off the bat, Charlotte is flirty with him. And knowing how Humbert only likes children, he's like, ew, gross. Yeah, he's like, this fat pig, like, talking to me and pretending like she knows French. And he's still trying to figure out a plan to bail until he sees the garden and he sees the new prize, the titular Lolita, a.k.a. Lo, Lola, Dolly, Dolores, who is Charlotte's 12-year-old daughter. Yes, Dolly Hayes, or Dolores Hayes. And she's just in a tiny little dress and whatnot, and then all of a sudden... He says that like the house transforms. All of a sudden, that only that that's a beautiful toilet. The way um, that it's like described is almost like the transition in Wizard of Oz, where you go from black and white to color. Like as soon as he locks eyes with her, the whole thing is like, "Wow, whirlwind, beautiful! Like everything is great now." And then like he immediately goes into talking about uh, Dolores's like lips and whatnot, and he's saying he's like, "Oh, she just looks like a younger version of Annabelle." His childhood love. That motivation still trickling through. Humbert becomes obsessed with Lolita. And it's kind of awkward because Charlotte is obsessed with him. It's some kind of fucked up love triangle as he stays at this house with them and continues to lodge with them. He's constantly, like, watching Lolita. And as they continue to live together for a period of time, he starts interacting with her more flirtily on the down low. Yeah, but it's not, like, quite extreme at first. It's, like, kind of innocuous, yeah, like, I, from an outside perspective. I think because he's, like, eventually taken on to be her tutor as well, Charlotte kind of sees him as, like, oh, wow, you're so great with my daughter. She's such a brat to me, but you can actually, like, get her to be nice. Kind of how someone would give the benefit of the doubt. You're really good with my kid. Awesome. Right. And one of, like, a good example of this is, like, he, there's, like, the kind of thing where you go up behind someone and you, like, put, like, your hand over their eyes and you're, like, guess who? Or, like, you know, it's, like, who's this? You know, kind of, like, fun. Yeah, like, mostly playful. But from the outside perspective, you can go, like, oh, that's kind of fun. Like, you know, it's, like, harmless whatnot. But whenever we're, since we're inside his head narrating this. We hear, like, what he is actually, like, feeling, like, 
hearing about like his boners and stuff it's so creepy yeah he like when he goes up to like put like his hands uh, on like Dolores's eyes then like he'll put it like over her eyes but all he's thinking about is like oh I can see her back through her dress here yeah and he's like I'm right behind her and her tiny tiny waist is so close the description fucking like you mentioned yeah and it just is it's very sinister he is passing it off like just being good with kids but because we're in his head, it makes it so much worse. Oh, yeah. And there's, like, even times where he's, like, teaching her. And, like, he's like, oh, I was just in my silk robe. And I acted like uh, I had just woken up and hadn't had time to change. And he's like, and then she sat on my lap uh, to get a closer eye at the reading. And he's like, oh, if I can just, like, keep these one moments. <laughs> and I hope, like, nothing looks weird. And, like, he's just trying to keep the, these, like, small moments of, like, touching her or, like, being just kind of creepy in general but if you like looked at it from afar you'd be all like mm, that's kind of strange but not like super strange like yeah. you know but like since we're in his head again it's like he's like the thigh oh i just graced her thigh with my hand i hope she doesn't notice oh the goosebumps and all the while he's also writing his touching interactions down in a diary right wow and, and it's not right now it's not like inappropriate touching it's inappropriate but it's not like sexual touching well as also much. the way that he's describing it though is inappropriate even yes. if he's like i grazed her knuckles the way he's like gonna jack off about it it's like you're writing that in your diary that's gross right or he's like oh, like when she's sitting on his lap uh he's like i can feel the heat of her groin <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> well anyways as summer rolls around the relationship between charlotte and lolita starts to get a little bit contentious i guess yeah i'd say a little bit strained yeah um she's just kind of being a rebellious kid i mean she's in her tweens yeah she's 12 she's gonna be like oh i'm not gonna do what you tell me mom and then like she's all like you'll never get a good husband like this smack yeah 50s housewife like putting that pressure on your child and i think not necessarily that lolita or dolores is like i love you humbert you're great i think he's a fresh face in the house he's being nice to her so she's like well, you don't nag me like mom does, so I'm going to be nice to you. Right. And uh, Charlotte this time is always like, well, Leah's such a handful. I can't believe she's so mean and like whatnot. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a strained relationship, but I imagine with a single mother like in the 50s at this time, it'd yeah. be kind of hard to do a bunch of things. Maybe she's not around enough, hard, and I bet Dolly or Lolita, we're going to use all these names interchangeably because yeah. it just, it's so crazy. Also has a hard time, you know, without maybe a father in the household. So she's kind of hard. Also, she's just a, rebe- a rambunctious kid. Yeah. Listener, do you remember when you were 12? I remember I was fucking annoying. I would shriek pie all the time and talk about hobos and like film stupid videos with fake blood and just be very obnoxious. I was actually pretty suave. I destroyed an entire galaxy um, and then came back. So. Maybe uh, X was cringe, but I, I I was a total badass, actually. You didn't see me in my neon phase, though. <laughs> anyway, as these tensions are kind of growing within the household, Charlotte decides, well, it's summertime. I think Lolita or Dolores should get a good experience, so I'm going to send her to summer camp with a bunch of girls. And then Homer's like, no! You're taking her away from me! He throws a big, like, internal pity party about it and freaks out. He starts coming up with like these dumb fantasy fantastical plots in his mind like i'm gonna dress up as a girl and go to the outskirts of the camp in my own little tent and pretend to be a camper so i can watch her like right. just imagine unhinged i imagine like something like 
Ladybeard. Oh yes, I'm enrolled here. I am a twelve-year-old girl. He, and he's like doing this. He's like, I want to be a twelve-year-old girl. And then, oh, we can be campmates together and sleep in the same room. We together. can braid hairs and tell scary stories and fuck. Basically, yeah. And he he has these fantasies all the time. It gets actually kind of annoying. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it, like. Things that would never, ever work out. And luckily, for the most part, he doesn't try and execute his fantasies, but a good chunk of the narration is him thinking about these, like, ridiculous things that he could do. And also, at the same time, he has, like, this struggle internally, because he's like, oh, I would never do that to Dolores. I want to make sure that she grows up a proper young girl. I have to be, like, responsible whatnot. But then he's like, but, oh my gosh, if I was in the summer camp... It's the demons, like, fighting within him. He kind of likes the role of the father figure, but also still has that, like, I want to fuck children demon inside of him. So there are two wolves inside of Humbert, and it's not great. <laughs> right. And he's constantly like, oh, I'm a good person because I have these urges, but I'm not acting on them. See, look I'm how good I am. I'm doing nothing wrong. Yeah, he's like, see, look how good I am. I, I could have uh, took her, like, into, like, the back of the woods and, like, fucked her and defiled her but you know i'm such a good guy that i taught her friends and she sat on my lap instead yeah so now lolita is at summer camp and he is alone it's depressed he well he's not alone he's depressed at home with the 50s housewife charlotte who is thirsting after him now she eventually confesses her feelings in this very long and dramatic letter while she's out to humbert giving him the ultimatum you either marry me or get the fuck out of my house. And he's like... And it's very what? like, oh. Yeah, it's very, I'm pining after you, but it's unreciprocal. But if it is reciprocal... But Humbert gets an idea. A marvelous galaxy brain idea. If I marry Charlotte, I can be Dolores' dad and be around her all the time. And then, like, he even, like, says some, like, disgusting shit. He's like, ooh, imagine the kind of hugs a dad could give. <laughs> Not those kind of hugs. No. <laughs> He's like, ooh, and then I can actually like, comb her hair and put my fingers through her locks and actually get that good stink of an unwashed child. <sighs> so, like, he's fantasizing about being a dad and, like, all, like, the weird, like... The like, grossest dad possible. He's, like, being like, ooh, we might even get to a level where we can kiss on the lips. So... To attain this dream of his, one of these ridiculous fantasies, Humbert marries Charlotte to stay close to Lolita, and amidst this, has these silly little plots in his mind, maybe even to kill Charlotte, to get her out of the way. And all during this time, Charlotte's loving this. She's She's like, I have a husband finally, someone to listen to me and to help around the house, and he's so good with my daughter. Like, she's having a good time. She doesn't know that he's like, fuck this bitch, I want to kill you. Yeah, she's even, like, redesigned the house. Like, she's things. excited. She's got, like, a pep in her step. Yeah, she, she's she been single for, like, a long time, having to, like, carry all this weight and whatnot. And all of a sudden, this intellectual... This Europe, charming, smart Frenchman. Oh, yeah. It's so, like, he's so sexy and whatnot. But they start having problems, too. Yeah. Um, specifically... He's kind of, like, secretive and aloof, and he's, like, trying to get into these arguments and whatnot, but most of the time they're getting into an argument is because Humbert has concocted a plan to start fighting her more, and that only comes after Charlotte's like, you know, when Dolly gets back from summer camp, I'm sending her to boarding school. Yeah, so of course that makes him mad. 
oh yeah, it makes sense. Like he's like the only reason I married you in the first place. Yeah, you're foiling my plan, you wench. Right, and so he just wants her dead. He like he's having like fantasies of like, oh, what if there's like an earthquake and a fire <laughs> and like. Only I and like uh, Dolores are the only ones that are left, and I can just carry her from the ashes, and we can finally be alone. Yeah. He never goes through with his plots to kill Charlotte, but he keeps things from her more and more, and continues to go back to his little black book, writing down his fantasies and everything that he has done and wants to do. Now, Charlotte was redesigning the house, yes. and if you know anything about a partner redesigning the house, you suddenly can't find anything. Oh, that maybe that's just my contention. Well, from my perspective, you find everything. <laughs> oh, yes, you <laughs> and do. And that's what happened when Charlotte was redesigning the house. She found Humbert's little black book somewhere under his pillow, and... Dun, read dun, it dun. And sees all this shit that he's writing about her daughter. And also, I think she's just butthurt about being called a fat whale every, uh... True, true. She's like, we're married. I thought you loved me. You hate me. You call me a wench. You call me a bitch. You're also wanting to, like, touch my daughter in these ways. She's horrified, and rightfully so. And she's she conf- like, you wanted to murder me in the lake when we went swimming? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that would be, like, a whole world turning upside down. Like, you think you have this perfect, happy marriage, and it's all a lie. And she confronts Humbert about it, but he goes, no, 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 it's just a manuscript I was writing. For I just a book. It's just my fan I just put your names in it because yeah. I didn't, I couldn't think of any female names to put for my main characters. And Charlotte's like, this is oddly specific. And she doesn't believe him. And so in a flurry of rage and confusion and heartbreak, I would imagine, Charlotte leaves and much to Humbert's convenience, gets hit by a car and dies. Yeah, she was trying to send letters. There's even, like, one letter we, uh, turn, uh, like, it turns out that, like, she writes to, like, Humbert being like, this is kind of weird, maybe we can, like, solve things, but right now I just can't. Uh, I need to leave the situation. So she leaves, like, with the intention of, like, delivering these letters and getting the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. Some, I don't know how, but sometimes, like, these women get lucky in, like, the sense that they're all like, oh, shit. Fuck this guy. I'm going to get out, which is, like, the right decision every time. Except for this case, which is a freak accident. Well, she got out and could never go back. Yeah. And the car wasn't planned or anything. Um, No, it was legit. Somebody just, they lost control of their car, and she happened to get hit. It wasn't anything Humbert plotted. It was one of those weird lucky scenarios we were talking about. Lucky for Humbert morbidly lucky for charlotte that she never has to deal with him but like, in the worst that. way yeah I, I think things could have ended a lot better if uh charlotte was able to was alive uh, yeah. yeah yeah most definitely it's interesting because during this entire time he's like trying to plot to kill her or like when he wanted to kill valerie or whatnot like at the very end he's like oh but i just can't do it it's just not mm-hmm. in me i'm not that much of a monster i'm a good guy really i am but he's thrilled when she does die not of his own hands of course yeah he actually, when she dies, like, his first thought is to, like, look, like, really sad and be like, oh, my gosh, what happened? What happened? I am a widower. I'm a widower. And he's like, I just can't take any of this. I need to be alone. But then when he gets alone, he's like, woohoo, yippee! Open the champagne, boys. And I, I would say this is the point of revelation and literally death in his villain's arc. Because of Charlotte dying, Humbert realizes he is now the sole guardian of Dolores. He is the only person who can take care of her because he married Charlotte before she died, so... And then he immediately, the the demon starts plotting with him. So he actually goes, okay, okay, now that she's dead, I wonder if um, Dolores has any other relatives. 
So let's try to avoid the funeral. Okay, let's get our ducks in a row. Yeah, sure. he, he starts basically planning, like, I need to get Dolores and get out to protect our identities so I can be alone with her. Right. And be, like, the sole person that she interacts with. So he's, like, trying, like, is there any relatives? Do the family friends, like, keep tabs? Yeah. Like, Are people in contact? Are the neighbors super nosy? Like, what's, what well, is happening here? And I don't fully remember, but I feel like most things kind of line up in his favor in a way. Yeah, and I think he really, he takes, like, a few days and whatnot uh, to actually, like, plot this stuff out. Like, he mm-hmm. looks up, like, laws for trying to, like, adopt uh, Dolores. Like, even though... Or even if, like, he can travel if he is technically her stepdad, but not legally. And all of this has gone over, like, in the course of, like, a summer, mm-hmm. basically. Which is insane. So, finally, he lines everything up, destroys his diary... And then goes to pick up Dolores from summer camp. And you would think she sees him probably as like, oh, cool, this is the guy that lives with us. But where is my mom? She was supposed to get me. And he tells her, lying, that Charlotte is sick and they're going to go stay at a fancy hotel near the hospital to wait until Charlotte recovers. And this makes sense from the summer camp perspective because they saw Humbert when uh, he dropped her off. Yeah, because he went with Charlotte to drop off Dolores and he comes to pick her up. And then they're like, oh, no, it's so sad that Charlotte's sick. Go ahead. Take the yeah. Dolores. You're Charlotte's husband. May as well. Now, little did Dolores know, our good old Humpert went to the doctor beforehand for his insomnia. Oh, boy. Yep. He was trying to get some sleeping pills. He was trying to, he's like, hey, these sleeping pills didn't really work. He actually did a trial test before she went to summer camp. Wherein he's like, oh, she got some of these sleeping pills. She was only out for four hours and not sleeping super deeply. So he went back right before the summer camp to, uh, pick, to pick her up and was like, hey, doc, I need something really, really strong. Give me the strongest shit you have because I can't sleep at all. But we all really know what the sleeping pills are for. Humbert was planning on drugging Lolita because he figured this will be the easiest way to fuck her. Right. Now, one strange part is that when he picks her up from summer camp, she is oddly okay, like, with her mom being, like, sick. Yeah, she's like, oh, well, okay, we're going to a hotel. Mom's gonna be fine. Great. I trust this guy that I've lived with a couple months. And it also might be because of their strained relationship, like, I mean, oh, like, finally she got what's coming to her, like, at least a little bit. Yeah, she might also see it as some kind of, like, extended holiday. Like, I went to camp, I was away from my mom for a long time, well, now I don't have to see my mom for a little bit longer, and I get to hang out with this cool French guy. Sweet. Right. She's, like, during the car ride, she's like, oh, uh, some camp was so interesting, we got to do, like, all these things, like, doing dishes, doing a ton of dishes, and Humber's like, yep, yep, great, and he's like, tell me what, like, all the fun stuff you actually did, and then she's like, Ooh, well, I have this terrible, dirty secret. You would love to know about it. And of course he does. And it's kind of weird because I think she's trying to be kind of like a shit disturber. And I think Mm -hmm. she's uh, trying on this like little road trip to the hotel. She's trying to kind of like hit on Humpert a little bit. Yeah. uh, Which is kind of weird for like a 12 or 13 year old. But I think she's just kind of like trying to get him in trouble with uh her mom i think she's not like legitimately hitting on him it's more of all like you're gonna take me away right to a hotel all by ourselves isn't that a little incestuous and hummer's like shut up yeah she's poking and prodding at and then, him but she isn't stupid either 
Right. Like, she probably is like, something bad could happen, but I, my, if my mom trusted this guy enough to marry him, I'll trust him as my dad. Right. And so she, like, tries to, like, make some, like, lewd actions and whatnot, but it's just kind of teasing. And, like, she's like, oh, I have this little dirty little secret. And Humphrey's like, I, I don't want to know. Because he is driving at, like, 110 miles an hour to get to a hotel. And it's a very specific hotel because he has very specific plans. Mm-hmm. So he's not stopping off at these little roadside motels. He's like, no, we have to get to this certain hotel. Yeah, he has everything plotted out, like we mentioned earlier. Those days after Charlotte died, he has everything, like, to AT. So he's like, we need to get here, then I need to drug you, then I need to fuck you. One of the reasons he's obsessed with drugging her before fucking her, even though, like, she's being kind of a tease at this moment, is because... He also has this weird inner urge to be like, okay, well, if she's drugged and she gets fucked, she'll have no idea what's happened. And therefore, she won't be traumatized. Yeah. And she'll still grow up and be a, a normal, functioning human being. I can be the greatest father, and then just sometimes... She'll be she'll none have, the wiser. Yeah, she'll be none the wiser, and she'll have, like, these, like, sleepy moments uh, every once in a while when it's father's time. And I think... In a way, this is kind of a rebirth and transformation for Humbert because he is finally free to do what he wants with Dolores and he's actually taken the steps to try and put something in action. And when they get to the hotel, he does drug her, but it does not work out like he expected because the pharmacist did not prescribe him the highest dose. Luckily enough for Dolores, she wakes up four hours after, as in the past. And I don't even think that she wakes up like she also wakes up intermittently. And there is a, a small scene where he has to argue with, like, the hotel staff. They're like, oh, no, we didn't have your room. Your room was supposed to be booked with two twin beds. And he's like, yes, yes. And he's like, we only have uh, a room with one bed. And then uh, he's, they're like, is this fine? I know it's, you know, not usual for, like, parents to be sleeping together in, like, a single bed. And he's like, you know what? It's fine. But he drugs her. And once he drugs her, he's laying in the bed. And he's trying to gauge how asleep she is. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, ooh, can I scoot a little closer? And then, like, she'll get up and, like, yawn or something. He's like, okay, she's not asleep yet. And then he's just describing this entire hotel room of, like, toilets flushing and, like, people going, like, doing things and whatnot. He's I think just, he's like, really in a frustrated. He's frustrated. He's also in a heightened state of paranoia because he doesn't want her to wake up. So I think he's like hyper aware of everything going on. But it just the way he describes it, it grates on him. Every toilet flush, every like little noise that he hears, he's like, it's gonna wake her up. Oh, this is so frustrating. It's foiling my plan. Right, exactly. And so he's super angry and whatnot. And he's trying not to go to sleep himself. But eventually, by the time morning comes around, he's like, okay, the drugs are not gonna work. Uh, I'm super disappointed. Fuck me in the ass. All this sort of stuff. So he finally falls asleep, maybe an hour or two before morning. And once waking up again, Lolita is awake and conscious and is none the wiser because nothing happened to her, luckily. And she just thought, oh, well, that was a tiring car ride. I just zonked out. And then she starts to kind of open up to him a little bit more. Uh, We mentioned on the car ride, she was teasing him a little bit, but she actually tells Humbert about her first time. Yes, that was the dirty little secret. She was like, hey, do uh, adults play this game? Because I played a really interesting game at summer camp. And basically the game was basically sex. And Humper kind of knew this. He was like, okay, dirty little secret, all girls summer camp. 
what kind of lesbian affairs did you have? And then she surprises him, actually, by saying that not only was it with other girls that she was playing this game with, but she would follow this older girl, and they would follow a specific path, and there was one boy on the summer camp who was kind of like a landkeeper. Now, this boy was about their age. He was like mm-hmm. 13. And the girl that she was with was also 13, and, you know, she's 12. Anyway, the older girl and this Charlie guy, who seems very bland, but that's also based off Humphrey's description, yeah. so don't really trust that. But the older girl and the guy go off into the woods and do their thing. They come back, and then the older girl's kind of like, hey, don't you want to be cool? Don't you want to be, like, super fun? And eventually convinces uh, Dolores to go off with Charlie in the woods, too. Mm-hmm. And then eventually all three of them are taking this trail every single day and that's her dirty little secret and she's like it's so interesting and so fun i can't believe adults don't know about this right that kind of special knowledge for this group of like teenagers to be having this experience but it pisses off humbert of course he's super possessive hearing about her having sex with this other girl he's like yeah whatever lesbians do what they do but hearing about dolores sleeping with charlie sends him into a tizzy oh yeah and also this is a great like transformation for him at this time because he goes he has like this weird click in his brain where he goes oh she's already defiled Mm -hmm. like she's already unpure and then that almost opens the floodgates for him to like start doing manipulation it does i think once he has this transformation he's like basically anything's on the table and at the motel he crosses the boundary and does end up sleeping with Dolores. Yeah, and it goes about kind of like, he's like, oh, I don't know about this game. Can you help show me? Yeah, taking advantage of the situation of her naivete, regardless of how smart she is. And it's also fucked up. I guess the unreliable narrator aspect of it comes into play because Humbert ends up victim blaming, basically saying that Dolores seduced him. Yes, a 12-year-old seducing a 37-year-old man. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) All of this happens in the span of, like, a few minutes in the morning at their hotel. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of implied that it's violent in nature, or at least very aggressive. Yeah. I mean, anything with a 37-year-old man and, like, a 12-year-old is... (laughs) Is going to be violent and aggressive. Yes. Also, just thinking in terms of, like, size, she is tiny compared to him, so anything is going to be painful. Oh, yeah, yeah. And his paranoia is so insane that he even, like, is worried about what the sheets look like as they're, like, leaving the hotel. He's like, I don't want any staff to know, Mm -hmm. like, what's going on, whatnot. And he's super happy with himself. He is even remembering, like, the first time that he uh, fingered uh, Annabelle. Yeah, his child love. They never, like, made it as far to actually have sex with each other. But, you know, it's still sex. When he was fingering Annabelle, he has this very vivid description of her being in both pleasure and pain. And crying. Yeah, and kind of like like a little bit of crying, but like with Annabelle, I don't think it was like bad crying, just kind of like a, like a oh, this is kind of weird. This is foreign, this yeah. kind of hurts, but yeah. Right. So you can only imagine like how far he takes it with Dolores if they're going full yeah. on. And we also later learn that it wasn't just this one time in the morning. It was three times 
during that morning. As they're driving, Dolores is experiencing extreme insurmountable pain. Wait, why are they driving? They're leaving the hotel. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go visit Charlotte, right? No, supposedly. And before Dolores starts questioning things, it is also noted that she has to stop at a gas station and get pads. And she's 12. She has not had a period yet. So the, the, the implicit violence that has happened to her, it's just kind of, it's sad and uncomfortable to imagine, like, a child that has never even experienced menses is in so much pain and is bleeding like you need a pad after this. Right. And also there's kind of a tonal shift here with Dolores in which at first we see her uh, being described in the morning as kind of giddy, kind of like fun and playful and whatnot. But at this point, after when she has to like stop go get pads, she is now defiant, a little bit mm-hmm. nervous, kind of questioning Oh, you just did filthy things for me. What the fuck? Yeah, she's not jovial like she was. So I think even in her mind, she's like, oh, this was not supposed to happen. This was not good. Right. And in this defiance, she starts getting kind of rebellious, like acting up in Humbert's narrative and asking, okay, take me to my mom. Where is my mom? She's been in the hospital. I want to see her. Yeah, like kind of like get away from me. Like what the fuck? Bring me to my mom. And Humbert manipulates her. Through the fact Hardcore. that he finally admits, oh, your mom's fucking dead. And then he starts being, like, super abusive, saying, like, oh, yeah, your mother's dead. And then if you want to leave, you better keep this on the hush and hush. Because if you don't, yes, I might go to jail. But you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to get into the system, and people are only going to see you as a whore. You're not going to get any of the meals you like. You're not going to get any magazines you like. You're going to be pushed from home to home where there might be other men like me who are not going to be as nice. He's basically flexing that manipulation of power, essentially enforcing in Dolores' mind, you are nothing without me. Right. And he's like, I treat you kindly. No one else will be able to treat you this kindly. The world is far worse out there than with me. I think it's also interesting, as you mentioned, with the tonal shift, before crossing this boundary and having sex with Dolores, Humbert was always afraid of that. Obviously, the, the we were mentioning earlier, the demons fighting inside him. He wants to maintain Dolores' purity and be a good father, but then also is succumbing to these urges, almost like a serial killer in a way. There's always, at least you hear in true crime stories, people will test on animals but never really want to go as far as to finally do the kill. And after he does... He has no regard sexually. He's basically like chasing the dragon of Annabelle, and once the deed is done with Dolores, things are completely different. Right. And I also, I think one of the differences here is he's still madly in love with Dolores. But what makes her different from Monique is that she's still a child. Mm-hmm. She's still within the window that he likes between 9 and 14. Mm-hmm. And also, he has complete ownership over her. So while she might not be pure anymore, and in his words, because Charlie raped her or whatever, unlike unlike he's like the real rapist, (sighs) now, instead of being worried about like purity, he's more addicted to like his power over her. Yeah, I think we've heard about his like temptations and motivations from Annabelle and from like his obsession with nymphettes, but his motivation shifts from the purity aspect to I want the power and also the hush-hush secrecy. Dolores, you can't tell anyone about this because you're going to get put in the system. I'm going to go to jail. People will see you as a dirty, used thing. So that he's getting off on the power now with this dynamic. 
Right. And kind of like serial killers, I think he also starts to ramp up. Yes. It's no longer like just like a... It's not a theoretical fantasy that he's had. Right. It's no longer the heat of the groin. Mm -hmm. Now it is the groin. And I guess that kind of brings us towards Humbert's event horizon. After this hotel incident, when Dolores is broken down, not only because she has been sexually abused by an adult and has also discovered that her mother is dead, Humbert's like, well, I'll make everything better. We're going to go on a fun road trip together. But this is also to further assert that control. He wants to control her behavior and cement his possession of her as his daughter and as his plaything. Also, the road trip is kind of like aimless wandering, like we saw mm-hmm. him uh, do initially. Maybe also uh, tie into like running away from uh, maybe trying to run away from his urges and whatnot, even though that's not working. But also on a practical level, you can't stay in one place for too long and not have people kind of like start to suspect something's going yeah, on. you're going to hear or see something. And I think he kind of accounted for that in his pre-planning before he picked Dolores up. He's like, I need to be constantly moving so we will fly under the radar of anybody who might be watching. It's right. an effort to hide their identities and their relationship. So he's passing it off as like, oh, we're going to go do some cool sightseeing. And then we get into road trip time. Yeah. It's also interesting after everything that has happened in these couple chapters, essentially. Early on, when Charlotte is around, or even when Charlotte is not around, like still alive, Dolores typically calls Humbert something like, Papa, like, oh, basically, you're my stepdad, this is fine. But after... He takes her on this trip, basically kidnapping her. We don't really hear anything from her perspective anymore. We only hear about what she does from Humbert. Right. She's basically lost her voice. Yes, almost entirely. Humbert is now in total control and is less concerned at this moment in time about what she's actually thinking or what she actually wants to do, whatnot. In fact, I think he finds it kind of annoying throughout like a lot of this road trip yeah and he won't say like oh dolores said this or dolores said that he should be like dolores is obsessed with this thing i can't believe she wanted to go to this stupid attraction like he gets kind of petty with it yeah very petty with it because all he wants to do all day long is fuck that's all he wants to do he's like one of those dogs that like has like ass glands that like constantly needs to be milked like it's all he thinks about like and he's like yeah he's just that disgusting he's like i can't i just need that relief all the time like i can imagine him just being all like oh why can't we just fuck eight times a day all the time and for her she'd probably be like you will literally break my body if this happens not only that like i would think it would get boring at some point yes yes I don't know, but he's a sex-crazed pedophilic maniac, so... Yeah. Well, the two drive around the country for about a year. So Dolores is pulled out of school and basically being trafficked by this man. And throughout their journey, Humbert becomes increasingly obsessed with her. He, of course, goes back to his weird fantasy brain where he is thinking about marrying Lolita and raising their child as, quote, Lolita too, Which... I guess this is technically incest, but not technically incest. It would be legally incest, I guess, but not biologically. And then he almost starts to kind of veer into like the weird biological incest territory, which is even crazier. I mean, yeah, with his like wanting to have a child with her that will be his Lolita too. It's just 
so disgusting and debased. And we can kind of see not only his actions ramping up, but also his fantasies. Yeah. I guess tying in with how his actions do ramp up throughout their journey, he continues to escalate his manipulation of Dolores, basically getting her to fuck for favors. There's a point in the book where he said he wouldn't give her her coffee until she did her morning duty. Quote unquote, never did she vibrate after my touch. And that just goes to show that she's not enjoying this anymore. No. It's a duty. Was she ever enjoying it though? I don't I don't think I so. I don't think so. I think he enjoyed it and he thought, oh, because she maybe made like one flirty comment to me, she's enjoying being railed three times a day. Right, and she's already undignified and like rambunctious, so of course she likes this. She's my property. Right. I don't really care. And he will like kind of force her to be like do this like, okay, it's about bedtime. You know what bedtime means. <sighs> You do want to have that nice hairbrush, don't you? Don't you want to see that museum we're supposed to go to? You can get two hours to the museum if uh, you come help Daddy out. He's, like we've said before, flexing that power and manipulating her to do what he wants. Additionally, he kind of clamps down harder on her as a person. He frets over any interaction she'll have with any kids of her age, or even, like, teenagers kind of close to her age, especially teenage boys who he describes as, like, these disheveled blonde boys who all have gonorrhea, even though I'm pretty sure Humbert is the only one with gonorrhea. I don't think he has gonorrhea, but it would not surprise me. Well, I mean, he did dally a lot back in the day. True, 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 true. But yeah, just imagining that, like, all these high school guys being like, oh, yeah, I've done so much fucking, I have gonorrhea in the 1950s. It's just absolutely ridiculous. He's like, all these disgusting young men, I know what they want. They only want one thing. I think he's projecting a little bit. Maybe. Obviously, uh, Dolores is just like looking for some connection. One, in which she doesn't have to cry afterwards. Exactly. I mean, if you think about it this way, she's been pulled out of school. She is probably like almost 13 at this point. So she had a few like good teen, preteen child experiences. But now she's with this man who is doing unspeakable things to her. And it's probably like, I just kind of want to have a normal life. Maybe. Right. Like, she's interested in magazines. She wants to go, like, hang out with other people. And she doesn't want to be on the road looking at a landscape and then told to fuck at some weird dingy motel on that, like, the side of the road. Exactly. Now, also, I forgot to mention, he's able to pay for this because he had a rich uncle that died and, like, left all of his money to The one who offered him a job in America, which brought Humbert there initially. Right. And on top of that, he still owns uh, Charlotte's estate, mm-hmm. which he has a family friend look over. Um, to I guess they basically kind of, like rent it out, right? And so he's basically like money's like not a huge concern at this time. It's still like a little bit of a concern, but mostly just for Humphrey. Which fuck him. I think also he kind of puts that to the wayside, right? Like most of the time, he's just more concerned about will I get caught. Uh, what, what, like he's not looking at like hotels for prices. He's looking at hotels that maybe like only offer a single bed or yeah. like or discreet. Well, also, or, there were a bunch of hotels in the book that was like, oh, we don't accept children under this age, or like there are certain stipulations. So he is constrained to that because he's doing dumb things, like just trying to get his rocks off of the child. Right. Also, he's an asshole, and he's like looking at. He's like, oh, this place offers free meals for. Uh, people under 14 he's like excellent not only can i fuck the child but uh i can get i i don't have like have to feed her even it comes for free 
Yeah. Total piece of shit. Yeah. Now, amidst this super fun road trip, yay, Dolores starts to kind of get wiser in a way. She begins to learn how to lie to Humbert, which good for her. There's a section where she's reading like a pamphlet or something about how to protect yourself against bad men. And at least at this point when we were reading it, we were kind of hoping like, oh, maybe she's understanding this and understanding she's in a bad spot and almost leaving some subtle signs behind to ask for help. She was looking at how to like leave road signs of Mm -hmm. being like kind of like, oh, please help me. Kind of like those old hobo signs when it's like job offered here or whatnot. And like if you have three lines down the middle, it means not safe here. Right. And then Humpered like will see that and be all like pretty hard to do without a pencil. So he's like kind of starting to pick up that she's also getting smarter because yeah. obviously he's an adult. He has a lot more life experience. He knows that she's kind of starting to suss things out and whatnot. And so every single time one of these like clues is left behind, he tries to kind of destroy the foundation. Yeah, of that exactly. Hope. Like he's always trying to destroy her hope. Somebody's trying to light a signal fire. I'll oh, just cover it in sand to snuff out the smoke. So she doesn't take too kindly to this and wants to get out but all of her hope is being destroyed, being undermined, whatnot. So she's a teenager. What does she do? She's rebellious. She throws tantrums. She's like, kind of like, fuck you. She's acting kind of like how she did with her mom, in a way. Now that he's the sole guardian, she's like, why are you being such a dick to me? Right. And Humper doesn't take kindly to this at all. He's like, I've been so kind to you. I've been one of the most perfect dads. I've taught you how to love. After everything I've done for you, you treat me like this? And he's like... You know what? That's the final straw. If you keep acting this way, I'm going to put you into a fucking orphanage. Yeah, so kind of reiterating that initial threat he gave when he finally told her her mom was dead. And he's such a kind father that, you know, he just mostly leaves her frustrated and crying most of the time, not letting her have fun, being super overprotective against those gonorrhea boys, (sighs) which he's obviously jealous of in some weird kind of way. Well, because his daughter is paying attention to them, not him, even though she should not be paying attention to him. Now, throughout their trip, Humbert starts to get a little paranoid. Things aren't going to his perfect plan as he wished. And as they drive across the U.S., he starts seeing a red station wagon appear behind him quite a few times. Now, if you're ever on a long road trip, I used to play a game with my dad of like, let's spot the gray prius and after you see so many gray priuses you're like this is the one this this prius has been behind us for a very long time interesting but humbert takes that almost as a personal attack he thinks they are being stalked and gets very concerned about this red station wagon behind him which he's always paranoid especially if cops or anything like will pull him over he's like oh no they know they know uh even though it just looks like a normal road trip with like father-daughter mm-hmm. at this point and it helps because every time they are pulled over by the police because Humphrey likes to speed. speed yeah even though he's going fast with nowhere to go really right dolores actually will cover for him and like she'll go from frustrated like being like such a fucking awful person you rapist and then as soon as a cop pulls over um dolores is like oh hi officer i didn't notice you there it's such a lovely day my daddy was just taking me out And it's mostly because of her fear. Yeah, she doesn't want to be institutionalized in any way. No. So Humphrey's actually gotten 
a huge grip into mm-hmm. this child's psyche. Yeah, you would think like, oh, you can give a signal to the police. This is not going well. This is a bad thing. But she's so afraid of the threats that he told her about that she's trapped. Right. We can see her going straight from depression, frustration to immediate, like, happy. But that happy is only a mask for her fear. Mm-hmm. She's trying to protect herself, even if it's misguided. But that's all she knows. Now... Her frustration is becoming more and more of a problem, and uh, Humphrey's like, okay, how the fuck do I deal with this? And so he's like looking up laws, he's like, how do I get my nice little Lolita back? How do I get that nice young girl instead of this moody teenager? So he decides that maybe it might be a good option to kind of settle down somewhere for a little bit. Mmm, yeah, she's not been in school for a year, maybe time to get a little bit of an education? Right, maybe actually socialize her with mm-hmm. other girls. Maybe she'll chill out. only other girls. Yeah, yeah. So Humbert gets a job at a college called Beardsley in the Northeast and finally re-enrolls Lolita in the all-girls school. Now, I would like to think that uh, the only reason she was able to get back into school is during this time he was still giving her like some teaching lessons. Yeah, he was teaching her French a little bit. Right, so... That she can speak French and, like, know some, like, more literature and whatnot. So maybe that's how she can, like, pretend to get herself back into school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Think about how awful it is. You have your road trip. You should have dirt. Then you have to have your fucking lessons. Then you have to have your lunch fuck. Then you get to go to a museum. Uh, maybe. And Where you're maybe getting get taught a tone. history lesson that you don't quite care about. And then uh, all you get to do is to uh, fucking cry yourself to sleep. Sounds like a great way to spend your summer as a 13-year-old. Yeah. So I can imagine her actually being kind of excited to kind of settle down and not be on the move. Well, also, I would imagine her being excited to be in school and be like, finally, eight hours where I'm not with this fucking creep. Right. So with Dolores enrolling in school, and as we were just mentioning, having some time away from Humbert Humbert, their relationship gets more strained and she experiences more displeasure and i think we mostly note this from of course humbert's narration where he starts referring to her less as lolita and more as dolores as she goes to school interacts with these now 13 year olds and is kind of separating her identity from him because that is a form of freedom in a way it's almost as if her nymphette nature is fading to him right and it's at this point that he starts kind of making some allusions that he made to other uh women mm-hmm. during this thing like he starts calling her like a manatee and saying like oh she's starting to get like thick and like bad description fucking her instead of like glorifying like yeah. oh she's an angel with such soft thighs I and a beautiful he's, smile he's also trying to hold on to that like childlike body shape he threatens her like your legs can't be more than 17 around otherwise you're gonna be disgusting even though like as a 13 year old that's unrealistic and will would be the stuff that would make any teenager develop an eating disorder he even acknowledges that he was making a joking statement but being that young and hearing like i can't be bigger than this it's just gonna fuck you up in all kinds of ways yeah it's also super weird that he is absolutely so obsessed with her that he knows all of her measurements. Yeah. He, he even took knows that, her IQ. He took that on from Charlotte initially, I think because she was trying to get her, in, not into a pageant, but like for Dance clothes or, or like that. some, yeah. 
And right. he took that on and is keeping those measurements as she gets older. Right. And it's just, like, you know, there's being a helicopter parent and then there's being overly invasive. If your dad was weighing you every week and, like, measuring your thighs, big red flag. Super huge red flag. It sounds like a, like an American horror story. It's nobody's place to comment on somebody's body, but, like, getting that obsessive is just really creepy. Fortunately, though... Dolores can now hang out with boys. Well, not actually. <laughs> she's interacting. She tries. Yeah, she's interacting with kids her age, and she is kind of um, pushing her relationship with Humbert by uh, going a little bit beyond the wayside to interact with children her age and actually be a fucking teenager. Actually, getting friends and whatnot. But Humbert's like super restrictive. He's like, you're not allowed to go out. You're not allowed to like do extracurricular activities. You're going to come home with me, yeah. do your duties. No parties, no, like, he, it's, go to school, come back to me. He's still trying to exert the control that he had over the road trip while giving her the, like, taste of freedom, which I feel like would incentivize her more to want that freedom and to rebel against him. Oh, most definitely. And also, it's kind of a weird allusion back to, like, when he was a kid, how his parents were like, we always have to be watching you. Mm. Oh, true, fair enough. You yeah. didn't think about that earlier. Perhaps it's like a little bit of that as he kind of goes more into this weird father figure. Yeah, as Dolores is more outside of his control, he takes on the father role, even though like it's the most messed up father role. Right. And so he's teaching what he learned, I guess. Right. And we can kind of see his mindset change when uh, when he's like in his father figure mode. He's like, oh, Dolores. Whereas when he is in his lusty mode, he's like, Lolita. Yeah, And he's always trying, like, during this time period, he's like, okay, I need to take care of Dolores, make sure she's, like, well-educated, make sure she's uh, doing well socially and whatnot. And he's like, and then I need to get her to do this so she can return to being my Lolita. Yeah, so it's this these weird expectations he has. She's so far out and so done with him, he's trying to find ways to reel her back mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Keep that clasp. It's also interesting as he is trying to be, he's trying to restrict her more, but also bring her back in. There's one encounter that she actually calls him out. That rebellious streak is finally giving her a voice again at this point in the novel. She asks him in a conversation they have, like, oh, quote, what was the name of that hotel? Oh, you know, the one where you raped me? She knows exactly what happened. Yes. And is kind of throwing it back in his face like the smallest form of rebellion she can i know what you did to me she's getting smarter about her rebellion and Mm -hmm. trying to get him where it hurts Mm -hmm. because we know that humper at this point still thinks of himself as a good guy like he's like i'm fine there's just like a little bit here on the side you know it's good and then um she's like where you raped me and Hummer's like oh, I didn't rape you Charlie ra- raped you yeah. that's the I was just giving you consensual like but know. her calling him out on his bullshit like deep down he knows yeah he raped a child yes and yeah. I think that and it'll slowly dawn on him more and more I think I think subtly it gives him the shift because eventually he allows her to get into theater in school there's an extracurricular play where she auditioned and was cast but he has the condition there should only be girl actors. You know, we love a good theater arc in this house, and I hope that she could get to express herself through theater. Yes. Even though it's just all girls and whatnot, it's kind of weird because he's super jealous of, like, these young boys. And he's just... The gonorrhea boys. 
yeah, the gonorrhea boys. He always feels like really inadequate uh, for some reason. And maybe that's why he desires this power over young children and control. Because he also likes to like speak in French just randomly or give like use like a bunch of big words. And he's always talking about how the other adults are such fools and cannot match like like his plans and plotting and whatnot. But I really think a lot of that comes from his inadequacy as someone living his life. He's overcompensating. He is definitely overcompensating. But at least Dolores is able to get into a play although it had to take some coaxing with the theater teacher. And yep. finally, the theater teacher's like, okay, okay, since Dolores is a weird kid and she's finally being able to be social, we'll change the play to all just girls if that's what it takes to get Dolores to like actually be in some extracurricular activities. Yeah, finally, like being a proper student, a proper teenager. And I would say this is really good for Dolores. It is advantageous for her to be in theater. I think there was once a quote that like, it's not the actors lie but Dolores learns how to lie from theater and or at least get better at it yeah and it kind of helps her plan not plan for an escape but separate herself as we mentioned her identity from Humbert she is able to assert a little bit of autonomy by being separate from Humbert having an extracurricular going to school being a part of something outside of him also, I would imagine it's a good form of like escapism mm-hmm. because so far the only uh, types of escapism she's had is uh, magazines. Yeah, and this is interactive. You can pretend to be somebody else. Right. So it's a big character growth for Dolores at this point. Yeah, and she actually turns out to be pretty good at it as well. But in the meantime, of course, Humbert starts rolling back into his old patterns and tries to be a helicopter parent. He initially goes to each of their rehearsals and is kind of critiquing what's going on in the play. Oh, this was not refined enough, like all the theaters in Europe. Dolores is actually able to give him the boot, like, stop. She uses that kind of knowledge of lying. Oh, I want you to see the play fresh. I want you to see me, like, new on the stage. I don't want you to know what's going to happen in the play. So don't come to rehearsals because I want it to be a surprise for you. Yeah, and good for Dolores at this point. I think she's actually starting to recognize that she can hit some of Humbert's weak points by turning into Lolita for very brief moments Mm -hmm, of time mm -hmm. before going back to Dolores in order to get what she wants. She knows that if she just kind of like goes like acts like a cutesy young girl again, like she was or is, (laughs) then um, she can get away with a lot more stuff if she just kind of like pleases him for like a little bit. She's learning a form of manipulation, I guess, because she has seen him manipulate, but it is it's good when we see her do that it's like yes honey get out get out right right but it's still disgusting that she has to do it in the first place exactly or learn this uh coping mechanism right now things don't always go as planned humbert eventually of course he's an adult he has more knowledge of the world he catches on that dolores is using the theater to help go behind his back The day before the premiere of her play, she runs out of the house following an argument with him, and he chases after her on foot, and she is on bike, and finds her at a drugstore drinking uh, an ice cream soda, and interrogates her, accusing her of being unfaithful, and basically like, okay, well you said you were here with this person, I'm gonna go to all of these stores just to prove where you were at. Right. He just kind of goes fully unhinged. And he's paranoid that like she actually escaped this time, which... If he has to be paranoid about that, 
means that she's not having a like a good time in the first place. Yeah, exactly. In, in fact, I think in the book he even says, "I don't know why she left uh, or why she didn't fully run away that day." But if I'm yes, yeah, he acknowledges like this would have been the prime time for her to escape because I couldn't find her for the longest time. Right, which means he already knows deep down that he has supremely fucked up, and she wants out now. I would suspect the reason that she didn't run away that day is like also thinking, okay, where am I going to go? I have no money. Yeah, I don't have, like, I have a few friends, but I can't, like, crash at somebody's house. I don't, I don't know how to drive. I don't have a car. Yeah, I have my bike and my shoes. So maybe if it's two hours away from this creep, it's something. So I don't think that she ran away at this point just because she's a kid and she's unequipped. Yeah. And so unfortunately she's still tied to him yeah and basically to mitigate the situation she puts on the the cutesy child face the she puts on the lolita persona and goes well i just needed a little bit of a break i want to go on another road trip with you basically to assuage things and of course humbert loves this more time to spend with her where she's going to be away from school, away from those nasty boys and all these bad influences, where she can be under his control once again. But there's a stipulation this time. They get to go to places she wants to go. He dragged her around to all these... Wee! What a What an accomplishment! Wow! Last time, he was dragging her to all these boring museums and, like things he was interested in. But this time, she gets to go and see various shows and performances, but... Things don't always go as planned. We learned that during this road trip, going to these fun events, which aren't actually talked about that often, mostly probably because Humphrey's not interested. Yeah, he in- mostly bemoans them, like, oh, this stupid thing she wanted to go see. Oh, it was great that it was closed. Like, he's not excited at all. Right. What he is more focused on is this weird red convertible that kind of seems to be falling station wagon around. oh station wagon yeah so a red station wagon that he thinks looks familiar again like kind of like a gray mm. prius <laughs> mm. i've seen this car before and so he's like oh my gosh it's an undercover cop he th- th- he knows he knows and so he gets entirely paranoid that an undercover cop is following them around he even brings it up to dolores being all like i think we're being followed yeah he tries to, like, get off the trail, or get himself off the trail of this undercover cop. Like, the paranoia is just out the wazoo with Humbert at this point. And, like, even Dolores is all like, oh, Humbert, if it was really an undercover cop, why are you trying to, like, do weird things, like, try to lose him, or, like, you know? Yeah, you'll, you're just gonna get pulled over for speeding again, you dummy. Yeah, <laughs> and so, like, Dolores is even chiding, like, Humbert at this point. I mean, she probably has some ulterior motives here. Of course. Which, again, good on her. Yes. At a gas station stop, Humbert, of course, is filling the car and doing a few errands, probably taking a dump. And he comes back and sees Dolores talking to the driver of the red station wagon. And he he loses his shit. Yeah. He goes up to her and is like, what the fuck were you talking about? He, like, grabs her wrist. Yeah, and she says, you are hurting me. And he's like, why are you talking to this guy? You've been talking to this guy all along. She's like, he just asked for directions, crazy. And Humbert is affirmed that Dolores and the stalker have been talking for a long time. She has not given any tells. Like, it sounds very plausible. Yeah, some guy just asked for directions. But because he has seen this red car before and it's been tailing them for too long, he's like, there is 
too much of a coincidence going on here. And Therefore, there actually was. Yes. So they get back onto the road, and after a while, the red station wagon appears again. And finally, he's like, okay, I'm fucking done with this. And he stops by the side, and we notice that the other guy... The red station wagon. The red station wagon also kind of stops, and then's like, oh, wait, shit, I need to get out of here. And so he's, like, trying, like, jiggling, like, I have to get up, get away, and Humphrey gets out of the car, and he's packing. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to see, like, who like, this undercover cop is. I'm going to deal with this situation. Why are you talking to my daughter slash lover? And I believe at this point, he thinks that Dolores is trying to plot to get away. Yeah. And we've actually noticed this before because in the past at Beardsley, he would actually give her an allowance for every time that she was a good girl mm-hmm. and fulfilled her duties. Bribery. But then he noticed that she wasn't spending it like on ice cream and soda pop or whatever that he thought that teenagers should be like spending money on. And uh, he thought that she was actually trying to save up. To escape. To escape. And so he would like go in and steal her allowance from her. So she couldn't have that savings fund if she wanted one. Right. Which, the kind of evil. Anyway, this what is happening in this situation. And he thinks that whoever this person is... Maybe they're not an undercover cop. And I think that's where he gets the confidence to go and, like, actually confront them. They're like, oh, this is a conspirator with Dolores. Dolores." You're not going to take my daughter from me. Yeah. I will kill you before you do that. Right. And so as he's approaching the vehicle and the vehicle's trying to get out of there, all of a sudden, the other car turns on. Humphrey's car. And he's like, oh, shit. And then he realizes, he's like, wait, I don't think she can drive, but what if she learned how to drive when I wasn't looking? Whatever the fuck that was. And so he's like, oh shit. And so instead of being like obsessed with the guy in the red station wagon, she goes, okay, okay, I need to run to the car before she takes the car and drives away. And then when it gets there, she's simply in the like passenger seat and being like, what was that all about? But obviously, she probably turned on the car to give whoever was in the red station wagon an out. And out. Enough time to leave. And Humbert does realize that he did not put his parking brake down. So this interaction is kind of played off like, okay, maybe, yeah, you were just turning on the car and I didn't... The, the reason the car moved forward was because of my own, like, folly. From this point on, we don't really see the red station wagon anymore. No. We actually notice that they're still being followed, but it's always in something different. Like a different car, you know. Maybe they're being followed, maybe they're not. Maybe he's just extra paranoid now yeah of undercover cops of any cops of Dolores running away he is kind of losing it grasping at straws essentially but he's still like well at least I have my Lolita Mm -hmm. to comfort me and we're on this road trip and not in that dreadful school with all those gonorrhea boys (laughs) now unfortunately things did not well actually fortunately unfortunately for Humbert things did not go fully to his plan because Lolita got sick. She contracted bronchitis as part of this road trip and ended up being hospitalized. And you know what? Bronchitis is a bitch. Trin and I have had bronchitis at least two times this year, maybe three. I think I've Uh, gotten sick every single month this year. Yeah. Because I'm ill. You're the illest. (laughs) (laughs) So Dolores gets hospitalized. And during this process, Humbert is actually really bad at like planning to visit because he's always going at the wrong hours to try and see her and is bitching and moaning about not being with his Lolita. She barely touched the bed in the hotel room. This 
cradle robbing bitch ass. <laughs> He's very dramatic about it, but is also not making good plans if he really wanted to see her. So by the time he is able to check her out when she is fully healed, Lolita well, is gone. Yeah, she is gone. She found her out. Finally. Finally! How did she escape? She just run out of the hospital and Gao Ming like, Rah! No, no. She got checked out by her uncle. Her uncle? I thought she only had a stepfather. She does only have a stepfather. She doesn't have an uncle. Humbert is enraged to find out this. He starts searching everywhere for her. High and low. He won't leave one stone unturned. He basically goes, okay, okay. The only way to find out whoever this uncle guy, whoever this kidnapping, probably rapist, gonorrhea having- kidnapping, cradle robbing, nasty man. Like, honey, that's you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Another man. So he retraces all the steps going to like all of like the hotels and motels around because he has a very high suspicion that the person who is trailing them is probably the uncle. And so he's going like, hey, did you ever hear of like someone that was like in this car or whatnot? And he's like trying to put puzzle pieces together. Yeah, to he's be, playing like, like detective almost. Yeah. And this happens over the course of years. Yeah. It takes about three years. Humbert is searching for Dolores high and low, learning clues about this kidnapper to exact revenge upon him. You stole my little girl. I'll get you. Right. And we found out that whoever was in the red station wagon after the uh, confrontation would actually get different rental cars and whatnot Mm -hmm. to continue following them and always was checking into different hotels and motels and he's constantly like this prick i'm i'm learning his patterns i'm on the case he turns into like a detective he's like oh and this queue he always has like a queue in here at this license plate oh my gosh he had the nerve to stay in the same hotel as us one time he's absolutely obsessed like he still can't get his mind off of it over years if he wasn't a fucked up child raping pedophile maybe he could have been a private investigator in another life if only he had the motivation <laughs> maybe if you like told him that he could have uh 72 nymphets in uh <laughs> the no, afterlife no he might have been motivated to uh do some useful shit for this world but no instead Humbert continues looking, and eventually, he he never really loses hope. But but, he loses his mind. Yeah. And then kind of starts fucking around a bit. He meets a drunk named Rita. I think it was at the sanatorium, right? Because he goes to uh, an insane asylum again. Yes, he does. I'm not sure if he meets her there. I'm pretty sure like he just picks up a drunk woman outside of a bar. Because Humbert is also kind of a raging alcoholic as well. Yeah, I think it's only gotten, like, worse. His drinking escalates. Yes, One could say maybe his drinking has escalated because of his obsession and kind of deep down knowing that, like, he's a monster. And so now he's, like, kind of drinking. Trying to numb it. Yeah, he's trying to numb it. And that's probably also one of the reasons why he couldn't get to the hospital at the right hours because he was drinking heavily at the time because he's like, oh, no, is Dolores going to die? Also interesting to note, in the book, he drinks a bunch of gin which, if you're drinking gin straight, that's, like, the worst thing to get fucked up on. Oh, yeah, it's, like, cleaner. Yeah, yeah. He should be cleaned. <laughs> Need some brain bleach after this book. Honestly. 
Well, so like we mentioned, he he meets a drunk. He has some wild ex- escapades with her. I think there's a note where he wakes up in the morning in a hotel with her, and there's just this, like, fat naked man on the floor who gets up and leaves, and Humbert's like, what happened? What's going on? <laughs> yep. But decides to just up and leave as soon as he gets a very special letter. A letter that talks a little bit about... Charlotte's estate, which, whatever. Fuck the estate. We're done with that. More importantly, there is a letter from Dolores Hayes. Now 17 years old, married, surprisingly enough, and kind of needs a little bit of help in the financial department. Oh, why is that? It's because she's pregnant. Oh, I bet Humbert's so happy he's going to be a grandfather. Lolita, too? Yeah. <laughs> I, no. I don't think it's Humphreys. No, no, it's enough. not. It's not. She has been away for three years, so she had her out. And she, I'm surprised she actually reached out to ask for help, but maybe she thinks he has changed. I would assume so. Either that or, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Fair enough. Also, she's older now. If she's married, she might have someone to protect her against. Yeah. And then if she can somehow leverage Humphreys. Uh, for anything after what he's done then it might be kind of a good revenge yeah that's fair i mean i wouldn't put it past her at all we already know that she's smart she's clever she was able to get out of the situation no matter how many things were stacked against her Mm -hmm. so i think this letter is actually not too terrible she might not be expecting much out of it but there's no harm in asking right yeah and maybe she can also if she's had some time to reflect on her trauma a little mm-hmm. bit, to maybe she confront this man. That's true. Yeah, especially if like you're like, I am set in my life. I am doing okay. I might be poor, but I've lived without you, and I can survive without you. And I didn't get put in the system, and I wasn't called a whore. I actually found somebody that I got on with, no. and I wasn't being abused by. Right. So she she has better of a social network, I would imagine, better like standing in the world and autonomy again. Right, and she also knows that he basically has money, especially because there was all of the money coming in from uh, Charlotte's yeah, household. Exactly. She might even be all like, hey, you know what? That money's kind of mine. True. You're only married to my mom for like three months. Yeah. Now, Humbert doesn't consider any of this. He just goes, my Lolita has written me. And basically, like, dashes to her doorstep wherever she is. But he also has ulterior motives because he thinks... Her baby daddy is the stalker that took his precious Lolita away from him. So he goes to see her to either get her back, get closure, but mostly to get closure by killing the kidnapper. And saving her. The kidnapper from the kidnapper. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, save her from this disgusting being who's made her pregnant. This uncle guy who's made her pregnant now. Preposterous. that, That is his Dolores. No one should be doing this. They, she belongs her. to me! Exactly. Even though he already ruined her, but... Well, not even ruined her. She was not ruined. She he was... hurt her. Yes. Severely. Very, yes. Traumatized her. Humbert goes and does meet up with Dolores. He reconnects... With a gun. Her. Yeah. He bring, he's packing again because he's, he's like, I'm hoping to kill baby daddy, but and I also want to see my daughter. And he always talks big. He always talks big. So, kind of... Don't really think he's going to go through it with it this time. No, he's never actually gone through with the killing. But he goes prepared. 
And when he reconnects with Dolores, he learns she is married to a military veteran named Richard, or Dick, and not the stalker. Yeah, at first he's like, let me at him, let me at him. I'll kill him, bitch. I'll kill him. And then she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill That's out. not the guy from the Red Station No, 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 no. Don't worry about him. And then she's, all, and then he's all like, "Okay, okay, where's the red station wagon guy? I gotta, I gotta How did get he him. get you? I'm, I need to kill him." And she's like, first of all, what are you doing?" He tells her that he came to give her the money she requested, but basically saying like on one condition. And her immediate like knee jerk response is, "Quote: You want to go to a motel, don't you?" Unquote. Which he doesn't. He instead wants her to move back in with him. But it's just kind of sad to hear like. She thinks immediately, like, oh, God, he wants me to fuck him again. Yeah, that's her first thought. And while she's pregnant. Anyway, she's trying not to divulge Red Station Wagon Guy here. And also, she's all like, okay, you want me to fuck you? And he's like, no, 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 no. She's not sure where she stands with him. Now that she's older, she's like, okay, am I Lolita? Or am I Dolores, your daughter? And it's very confusing. Well, I think more... How is he seeing her? She yeah. knows she is Dolores. Yeah, she knows. But she's like, she doesn't know how he sees her anymore. Right. And that's where that confusion comes in. Like, do you want me to fuck you? I don't want to do that. So he kind of becomes like a bit like simpy, like crying and whatnot. And still kind of like, okay, well, if you won't live with me, because she's like, I'm not living with you, you fucking idiot. Yeah. Like... She's like, I have a husband, uh, and whatnot. Is, is he gonna come live with us? And then, like, Humphrey's like, no, you have to divorce and come back with me. I'll take care of you. And she's like, that chance. Okay, okay, honey. Go home, you're drunk. Right. And he's like, okay, well, if you can't give that to me, give me the name of the man in the red station wagon who stole you from me. And surprisingly, she does divulge the information. Maybe, like, to clear her own conscience. In a way, she didn't have to, but she does let Humbert know that the stalker was a man named Claire Quilty, who happened to be the writer of that high school play she was the lead actor in. And I don't think it's ever explicitly stated in their conversation, but it's basically confirmed that she was, like, colluding with him to try and get out. And, like, I wouldn't... I don't fault her for that. I don't think it was the best approach, but as a teenager, like, if you are confiding in somebody who is, like, a less harmful power figure, like, usually you're taught to trust your teachers. So if this playwright is there, maybe she's like, you're the only person I can trust, especially if theater is my only activity outside of the home. Also, she kind of always desired to be a starlet, as we've seen from her reading magazines. Her magazines, she wanted to act, and she was really good at acting, and tennis, too. Yeah, so... A playwright arrives at your door being like, hey, I can make you a star. I can take you to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, well, my dad, screw your dad. Yeah, we'll find a way out of this. And like, I'm sure she got red flags from that too. But she's like, if this gets me away from Humbert, I'll do it. And she confirmed that Claire Quilty, the playwright, did check her out of the hospital to go and do plays together. Now, this Claire guy is basically... Humbert, but better. I, I wouldn't say better. He is Humbert, not in denial. Yeah, he's also a predator. He's in his 40s. He's smarter, has more money, has more cars. That's why he's able to like rent out like everything. He's smoother. Dolores actually likes him. She fell in love with him. Yeah, still not appropriate. Yeah. With a 13-year-old and a 40-year-old actor. Actually, well, there's also that same power dynamic. Ah, oh, I'm the, the writer. You're my actor. 
do what I want you to. Right. And that's where she actually had a falling out with Quilty. Yes, because Quilty led a pretty extravagant lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Drugs, drinking, Hollywood lifestyle. But he also threw a lot of sex parties. Mm -hmm. And he liked the people of the younger variety. Ah, you mean children? Yes. So initially, Dolores thought, it was like, oh, it's just me and uh, this Claire Quilty guy. We're going to get along. We're going to be together forever. Romance. You know. I'll star in his movies. And he wanted her to star in his movies, but not those kind of movies. He wanted her to be part of a child porn orgy. Exactly. And, and he said that up front. So I guess that's where you're saying, like, not that he's better than Humbert, but he is at least honest about it, where he's like, ah, yeah, you want to be in my child porn? And she's like, no. I think she does end up doing some, but I believe her jealousy gets to her. Her jealousy? Yeah, her jealousy of, like, the other children and whatnot and not being faithful, and she feels like she's just being used again. Which she is. Which she is. So she eventually breaks things off with uh, Claire Quilty. Oh, Well, not breaks things off. He actually kicks her out because she denies being in one of his films. Ah, that makes sense. I heard this is, like, some interesting speculation. So, speculation time! The theory that QAnon is actually <laughs> comes from a reference to this guy. I Quilty, Quilty yeah. Anon? Yeah, well, uh, the weird. thing is, is that a lot of times in, he will refer to himself as Q throughout everything. And so it's like, oh, Q wrote this, Q wrote that. And he's a guy who throws child sex orgies. I don't know. It kind of lines up. <laughs> it kind of lines up in speculation. I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, you'd have to find some sources to prove that, but it's There's a fun conspiracy corner thought. Conspiracy corner. Speculation time. Well, after unveiling the identity of the, quote, stalker that stole her away, Dolores does have a final, I guess, comparison between Quilty versus Humbert. She is quoted to say... He simply broke my heart. You merely broke my life. Yeah, so if she's like, oh yeah, the the child orgy theater writer broke my heart, but oh, you... Destroyed my life. That is saying something. That's so fucked in so many different ways. Yeah, and it's also interesting to think, like, she only had what she had... When she left, she was 14, so she had two years with Humbert, and it took two years to ruin her life. Yeah, only those... But it's such a formative time in a person's... Oh, of course. Of course. Luckily, we do find out that her marriage to Dick, he is still much older than her, but seems a little bit more respectable since we know that they're married. So it wasn't just like a pick her up, use her again, leave her off. Yeah, they actually have a house together, and like she seems kind of excited to have a baby with this guy. Right, and... Uh, he's an engineer and they just need the money to uh, venture up to Alaska to Mm -hmm. uh, establish themselves further and actually have a stable life. Hopefully a good life too. Like I, I, she deserves so much better than what she had. So I hope that she's gone through like 40 years of trauma and like maybe five years. Yeah, exactly. And despite Humbert trying and begging for her to return, she puts her foot down and is like, no, I don't want to do this. And he kind of respects that in a surprising turn of events and gives her $4,000 to go. And also gives her uh, his car. 
Which, that, that, I think that is probably one of the more surprising things, because, like, you think he's been lusting after her and searching after her and trying to control her, but then he actually lets go of her. I think he finally recognized... It's at this moment that he, uh... It sinks in that he destroyed her, even though, like, throughout the beginning of the novel, he's like, all I want to do is make sure that she's protected, mm. and, like, you know, um, grows up right, all this sort of stuff, as well as being attracted to her, but... As soon as she says, you merely broke my life. I guess he, that's where he has his own character arc and resolution. He realizes what he has done. Yes. Seeing that, like, just being around her even more, he's just going to continue to fuck things up. And also, she's a manatee now. <sighs> Whatever. And she, do you see that hippo tum with uh, actual hair on her arms? disgusting and also i think he gives her her car to her as well as like probably like most of his life savings because now he's a new mission yes revenge the person who initially stole dolores away he wants this man to atone for this their sins i think in his fucked up mind if this claire quincy guy didn't take her away that he could have brought her around like through with like more grooming yeah grooming convincing like manipulation he could have gotten her to stay so i guess him trying to enact this final revenge plot is like well if i can't have my daughter if i can't have my lolita you can't either i think he was trying to pull uh what's that director's name that married his stepdaughter tarantino no not tarantino that's oh. a guy who's obsessed with feet Oh, wait, I think I got it. Uh, Woody Allen. Like he oh, turned, yeah. Like, you just kind of turn the situation around. Like, you know, kinda, now it works out. It's all fine. Everyone kind of gives you some side glances. But I think that's what he was hoping for. And now that he knows that he has lost this due to this quilty guy, he has nothing but rage for taking from him the only thing that he loved and cared about in this world, even though his love was fucked up not love but maybe obsession his obsession and his motivation yes yeah so humbert goes and he tracks down this claire quilty guy he sneaks into his house and finds claire like in a bathrobe just kind of chilling and claire i think had just woken up from a sleep or something and at first thinks that humbert is like a maintenance guy he's like oh yeah things over there and then humbert pulls the gun and is like the thing is right here buddy and then Claire's all like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, they have this weird, like, mostly chill-ish interaction. Humbert is ready to fire, and Claire is surprisingly like, okay, you can try it. Let's talk this through, perhaps? Or, I have guests coming over soon. Even Claire, like, at one point, uh, Humbert's like, you will die for taking uh, Dolores from me. And he's like, who? Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that kid. Uh, yeah, I just, she just wanted to be an actor. And I was like, sure, I need an actor. And then uh, Humbert's like, you ruined her. You, you destroyed her life. And then like Claire's like, okay, come on. We both really know. We know exactly what happened. She yeah. was already. We both know up. what kind of monsters we are. Yeah, yeah. And that's where Claire admits that he wanted her to be in the child sex orgy. Like, he's very upfront that he's a fucked up guy. And he almost calls Humbert on his own bullshit. Like, ah, I admit to what I want to do. You can't even do that. 
Right. He's basically calling him, like, weak the entire time and throws, like, Humphrey off the edge because he has, like, that realization. Mm -hmm. Like, he finally has He's coming to grips with his reality. He's like, oh, shit, I am fucked up. Right. And he finally, after some scuffles and whatnot, is able to establish his place in hell by shooting Claire Quilty a few times in the chest. To be fair, I think Humbert already had a special place in hell for him. Yes. But he got a special place in prison? Well, sanatorium. One funny, yeah, one funny thing uh, to mention is that, like, he came downstairs and there's a few of his guests, like, starting to arrive. Yeah, like Quilty said, I have friends coming over soon. And, he, and they're all like, oh, hey. And then he's all like, they're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I just killed Claire Quilty. They're like, oh, that's funny. We all wish we could kill him, too. Then he's Someone like, should have done it. No, actually. And, and then, like, all runs like, away. Yeah, they're like, what are you talking about? And then, like, Claire Quilty, like, opens the door and, like, falls down bleeding and, like, dies. It sounds, like, kind of comical in a way. I guess they do say this book is a tragic comedy, but that I found entertaining. But anyway, Humber- he eventually ends up in, like, a jail mental yeah. health hospital. He gets arrested for his crimes and then transported to a sanatorium because he's bonkers. He's deluded. While in the sanatorium... Kind of like Saad, Humbert uses this time to write his memoir. As we mentioned in the foreword of the novel, it was written five years after all of the events that had taken place, and Humbert gave the stipulation that it could only be published if anybody wanted to publish it after Dolores died. Which, some respect there. Yeah, I guess. Make sure that she's not alive. She can't read this. Also, I don't want people to know who she is, so I, I guess best course of action... Right. So I guess by the end of the book, he finally has, like, respect for her, which, oh my god, it took that long. Maybe he only has respect for her because she's outside of the window. Yeah, I guess so. She's no longer an infant. He's like, well, I guess I can't be a complete dick to women. I I don't know. The mind of a pedophile is unknowable. Even though the entire book is in the mind of a pedophile. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for Humphrey, we find out that Dolores actually dies in childbirth. On Christmas Day. Well, at least she didn't have to live with those memories. For too long. For too long. Still tragic. Just an entirely tragic story. Tragic life. Yeah. Tragic say it's life. a tragic comedy. As we mentioned earlier, it's mostly a tragedy for Dolores specifically. Yes, it's... I almost wouldn't even call it a tragedy. It's almost like a horror novel. I mean, yeah, it is pretty horrific. And I guess that's where we kind of get into the final point of the villain's journey for Humbert's actual resolution. On November 16th, 1952, he died in his cell of coronary thrombosis awaiting trial for the murder of Quilty. And thus, his story came to an end because Lolita Dolores had died His memoir was shipped to the fictional psychologist and therefore published. So, that was a very long and in-depth overview of Lolita, even though we TLDR'd a lot of stuff. Kind of like 120 Sodom, another book if you're unsure about, now you don't have to read it. We've given you most of it. I actually, I I found this one uh, a lot harder reading. I always found this one a lot harder reading than uh, Sod, because Sod is just 
like an explicit 4chaner kind of. Yeah, and because, as we mentioned, you kind of get desensitized to his stupid antics of like, oh, we're gonna whip people in the butthole and like eat cake in their ass. And like, yeah, like it's just like explicit, like da 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 da. Like it, it's just like okay, okay, we get it, we get it. Yeah, you like fucked up shit. This one is fucked up mentally because you are put in the mind of this fucked up pedophile guy and at some points kind of empathize with him or find him humorous but also the entire time you're like what the fuck are you doing right you actually can almost humanize him or whereas in like 120 days of sodom like you have like four characters and you just kind of see them as weird fucked up monsters with no yeah. like, motivation other than like or like no reason for yeah they're just their... like we want to be debaucherous yeah they're just like the we end. just want to fuck in like Humphrey's case, he also just wants to fuck, but you can kind of see his reasonings behind it, like almost or his it... excuses too, and how his wires got crossed. Mm-hmm. I think in kind of an analysis, like we we know this is not a book encouraging pedophilia, but the way that Nabokov wrote it, I think, is kind of a thought experiment of that. How can I humanize a very inhuman person? How can I understand them? If you, the only way to perhaps stop bad actions from taking place is you have to understand why those bad actions took place in the first place. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, that's a lot of the reasons why historians study people like Hitler mm-hmm. is so that those situations might not reoccur again. Or if they are, then, like, the historians will be like, hey, here's some guidepost. What or, is that thing? Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Right. And I guess history could, always rhymes, but those who do not know it are always doomed to repeat it. You could also take that into, like, a psychiatric thing. Like, if you can study a brain, maybe kind of like how Cameron was trying, but that also got fucked up. And then I guess in terms of Nabokov being a writer, trying to, as mentioned in the foreword, make a better world for children to be brought up in. Knowing that those kind of people are out there and this is how they might talk in their head gives better insight and you can be, like, better prepared to uh maybe if you're like a parent be like oh that guy look out for some red flags even if it oh he's just hands on the kid's eyes who is it like actually looking into more subtle tells of when things can be dangerous right and also try not to get hit by a car no (laughs) 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 easier said than done easier said than done look both ways before escaping a household i also found it pretty interesting at least one thing that you brought up is as Nabokov was trying to make this thought experiment, he was actually on a road trip with his wife. Like, oh yeah, that's a fucked up story I can write. And I, I, I imagine they're just driving around Russia, oh, no, seeing they're in America we- at this oh, point. Oh, okay, they're yeah. driving around America, seeing all of these landmarks, and he's like, "What if this fucked up guy took this child here and like described it?" But was it? I, I don't know. Trin and I sometimes will go on journeys and like just have thought experiments. Like, this could be a really messed up story we tell. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was also kind of funny because he said that uh, as he like started reading about this, he like had to like ingrain himself into like teenage culture. So he's like basically just like reading like Cosmopolitan, like as if he was Dolores. I I don't know how he could stand that. That'd be so annoying. Oh my god! It's yeah. research. It's research. Or like they'd be like at dinner and like teenagers would be like at the table across from me. He's like. Honey, honey, can you be quiet? I need to pay attention to what the kids are saying these days. I wonder if she got annoyed with that after a while. Like, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to work. <laughs> so another thing uh, about this book 
besides the author is or kind of with the author is how he uses the unreliable narrator kind of stance which this has been talked to death i think there's even yeah. a college book about this uh there's whole podcasts just covering this like it yeah. is covered to death it's tied in with the language that is used in the book and also yeah the unreliable narrator i don't think he's like too unreliable actually i think he's actually pretty reliable he just likes to skimp on the details of what he doesn't really like also as we mentioned earlier he will skimp on some details but then also overcompensate by trying to sound fancy and like oh i'm just gonna use mon français right now like i'm gonna cover it up or use flowery language like we mentioned innuendo to skirt around the nastier things that are being talked about it almost makes you wonder is he trying to be unreliable on purpose or is he mostly just unreliable to himself? Like how much of it is deluding himself? Cause a lot of times he's like, oh, I'm not hurting Dolores. I'm just protecting her and being a kind father. Maybe he actually does believe that. And we think he's being unreliable because he's like, oh, you skipped over the part of where like the sex was so violent that she needed pads like afterwards. Maybe he's just like, doesn't concern himself with that or he's like oh that's just like a small that's so, normal yeah like that's normal that's fine it's it's hard to tell i guess that's where most people will say he's unreliable because you can't tell if he believes it or if he does not right but he does still describe his gross actions he just tries to kind of put some leaves over it yeah see. as mentioned in the forward you're not going to hear four letter words you're not going to hear him be like oh and i fucked this blah 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 blah, blah. right it's it's not written like sod Right, it's very uh, subtle. Yeah. But in, like, terribly devious way. I think one of the things that also ties into, like, what people feel about it being the unreliable narrator is, as mentioned, with some of the wordplay, there are some kind of funny beats which you don't expect, and it makes it uncomfortable hearing a story from this guy's point of view and being able to laugh sometimes. Right. Not in the way of laughing at a dog farting on toast or whatever Sod said, but... (laughs) There was one funny line in this one that I kind of liked. It's, uh, I forgot what he was describing, but he was trying to make a poem, a really dirty poem or something like that. But, uh, there's one line. He, uh, goes, the snake was walking with its hands in his pockets. <laughs> and I was like, that, that's pretty clever. Kind of like that one. <laughs> but most of the time, Humbert was just conflicted with society as an incest pedo with some fancy words. Well, I guess let's get into, rather than, like, the motivations, the thought experiments, some of the true inspirations for this novel. Nabokov was inspired... True crime! Yeah! Well, before we get into true crime, Humbert was actually modeled off of two people that I'm pretty sure most of our North American listeners will be well aware of. Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland, and Charlie Chaplin... Yeah, I think he modeled Humbert, at least from what little I know of Carol, because Carol had a little bit too close of a relationship with his daughter, his niece, like one of his relations. Yeah, his nieces. He was also just kind of like a little bit too close to children, although I, from what I've read, I don't think he went any further than just Yeah, like so maybe he was before Humbert crossed that boundary. Right. Yeah. So I could see where an inspiration could have come from. And then the Charlie Chaplin stuff, I didn't, I wasn't super well informed on, but I think there were a few very subtle ties from Chaplin's life, like that Dolly goes to Alaska and in Charlie Chaplin biography, he moves to Alaska and a few other like random small ties. 
you might have also just thrown that in as like a promotional thing since mm. like during this time Charlie Chaplin would have been like huge in like the 1950s I guess yeah to get to the more of the crux of it there was actually a true crime event that happened that some people will argue Nabokov used to his advantage in a nasty way to write Lolita like or maybe the story. yeah exploiting the story but also maybe he just heard it on the radio and was like huh two years later I have a brilliant idea. <laughs> like, so he could be exploiting off of this true crime story or it he could be innocent. Yeah. But in 1948, there was an 11 year old girl named Florence Sally Horner who was kidnapped by a 50 year old mechanic named Frank LaSalle, who falsely claimed that he was an FBI agent and he kidnapped this girl because she was stealing a notebook. And somehow they ended up traveling over various states for like. 21 months? Yeah. And Where, he pretended to be her dad. Yeah. All the while, probably raping her. Yeah. There's not many widely reported cases, but a lot of what we do know, it's similar to what is described in Lolita. And I'd have to double check what it's called. I think it's called The True Lolita, but there is a fairly recent biography about the Florence Sally Horner case for those who want to know what Lolita is actually based off of. It's actually kind of sad how often um, the statistics for kidnapping is. It's like most of the time kidnappings happen within a family. That's what like a lot of the Amber Alerts that like go out. Somebody who doesn't have full custody crosses state lines to... I'm gonna, I just want to take Timmy to Disneyland. Right. And it could be like, oh, your mother won't let me see you, like, kind of, like, stuff. Or, like, oh, hey, the family is being, like, mean and abusive. I'm gonna, like, help and save you. Or maybe it's a schizophrenic person kidnapping. There's There's so many different scenarios. There's probably a decent amount of incestuous, either legally or non-legally, of where the parent kidnaps to a child and takes them across state lines, unfortunately. Yeah. And I don't think we super touched on it, but when Humbert was doing his first road trip with Dolores, there were many thoughts in his mind of, oh, if I cross the border, child marriage is legal here, or oh, if I go to Mexico, we can start fresh. Obviously, because he makes plans and never fully executes on like the most nefarious ones, it didn't happen, but there was the constant thought of, I can cross borders to escape the law. Right. And that is something that does happen so it's not far-fetched for that to be not understandable but plausible in this story and i think he even admits to himself this goes well with the serial killer analogy is at first he's super obsessed with it but uh, like longer and longer it goes on the more lazy shine yeah and yeah he gets lazier right uh especially as he's escalating he's also getting lazier and it kind of reminds me of that one quote from the serial killer ted bundy who said, your first kill, you know where everything is, you have it all planned out, and uh, by the last kill, you forgot where you uh, left your lug nut or your lug wrench or whatever. That is your screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, something along those lines where it's like, at first, like, you're all prepared, and then, like, you just become lazy, too complacent. Yeah. To sum up the uh, true inspiration of Lolita, in one of Nabokov's unpublished work, called the enchanter he actually explicitly notes the florence sally horner case quote had i done to dolly perhaps what frank lasalle a 50 year old mechanic had done to 11 year old sally horner in 1948 unquote so even nabokov is aware there is true element and 
that maybe it's messed up writing about it, but the inspiration lies there. Right. And a lot of times people even today will take true crime cases and like turn into like a movie. Like you have uh, Candyman was based off of a true story. Um, horror movie yeah i guess it's more fictionalized than like the actual netflix recent Dahmer thing right and there there will always be people upset about stuff it is upsetting content yeah i would say there is a little bit of an argument though to say that it does expose people to the case more Mm -hmm. yes it could be exploitative however it could also be someone's first path into getting more well informed and Mm -hmm. uh either trying to prevent those type of crimes in the future or to help respect a tragedy that has occurred and maybe help out their families in some instances. So I can see both sides of the coin. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the breakdown of this villain. Yes, let's... This pathetic villain. This nasty villain. He's had, a, I think, one of the harder arcs we've covered just because... Nobody wants children involved. No. Luckily, it's fictional, at least in Humbert Humbert's case. Not let's, for let's avoid the children suffer a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds. Darth Vader next? Yeah, 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 Vader, Vader. <laughs> well, Humbert Humbert's threshold, of course, as we have probably talked about ad nauseum, was his 12 year old lover, Annabelle, the who died of typhus. Yeah. She was quoted to be, like, the inciting incident, essentially. Right. And so her death basically destroys him, causing trauma and also the threshold into his weird attraction. His wires get crossed. Yeah, yeah. After her death. And he is only ever attracted to the nymphets. Which goes into his mentor. Mm -hmm. Because of how much trauma he's gone through, he ends up a fair decent amount in some psych wards. And he's also just generally not mentally like stable. He, He goes through depression and psychosis. Also... Losing a lover and losing a mother. Right. For having a good upbringing. Like, he's not very mentally healthy. No, not at all. However, he doesn't try to get better from his circumstances. In fact, he just uses it as a way to learn about psychologists, manipulation tactics. Yeah, he goes, fuck fuck this system. I'm going to... I'm going to, yeah, fuck with the system. Yeah. So, his mentor is not a tangible human, per se, a little bit different than most of the villains we've covered. Right. Most of his mentors is coming from, like, the psychology books and whatnot, and it really helps to guide him into his future ability to groom or to manipulate other adults around him into, like, thinking that nothing wrong is going on. Mm-hmm. Which I think kind of brings us into his temptation, at least both what, touching on what you are talking about, his ability to groom... His motivation is the idea of nymphettes, his obsession with 9- to 14-year-olds, but specifically grooming them to hold power over them. Initially, it starts with the purity aspect, but as Humbert evolves as a character and becomes more fucked up, his motivation is more related to holding power over these children and the secrecy of defiling them, essentially. Yeah, there's even a part I don't think we mentioned but he later says that his love with Annabelle was great, but it's even better with a nymphette because you basically have more ability over them, more control over them. Yeah, he and Annabelle were equals. Yeah, he and Annabelle were equals, but he thinks that the more proper situation is if a man is uh, much older than a girl, so to speak. 
Yeah. And we mentioned earlier, he tries to excuse that, like, oh, it was like that in the day, back in the day. Right. And he also views this as, like, that's the only way to keep them in place. Yeah. And I guess he kind of gets to execute that with the revelation and death. After Charlotte dies, he becomes Dolores' sole guardian and gets to have the power over her because of his manipulation. (sighs) Tragic. Even more tragic, I guess, is his rebirth and transformation when he actually crosses the threshold and has his first sexual encounter with Dolores at the hotel. And it's almost hard to not see this as, like, the event horizon. Yeah, I think some people could argue that, but I think when he actually takes her on the road trip, because that's where you cross borders, not just boundaries. Right. You continue to cross boundaries. You cross borders. You cross into kidnapping and trafficking. And on top of that, like... Just the treatment of Dolores gets worse. It gets worse. The rape is egregious. Like, it happens repeatedly. Right. And Humbert becomes desensitized mostly to what he's doing. He gets annoyed with her, but he's like, I want to use her. She goes from being, like, his pet, his obsession, to basically his object. Yeah, his possession. Yes. Instead of his obsession. His atonement and resolution, I don't think there's anything that can atone for uh, a lot of what he's done. I mean, he dies in a cell. That's that's uh, not atonement. He doesn't really pay. He just... I would say it's mostly just resolution. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, he does have some torment going on, knowing that he's basically broken Dolores. Mm-hmm. Uh, recognizing that he's an evil man, even though he thought he, he was like nice and pompous. Realizing he's not of much importance. Yeah, that he's almost the same as Quilty, which I guess atonement comes for him in a way of killing Quilty. But I think just the act of killing is atonement, but spiritually and mentally, Humbert does not feel any resolution from that because he's like, oh, we are the same. Yeah, even after killing Quilty, he's all like, didn't really bring me much satisfaction because he's still tormented by the fact that he has done something that can never be undone. Well, also, I think it would probably resonate with him while he's in jail of Quilty being like, at least I can call myself as I am. You can't even acknowledge you're a pedophile. And then, unfortunately, this leaves a legacy. Yeah, not necessarily a legacy for the characters of the story, because we know that Dolores dies before Humbert does. But this novel has definitely shaped culture. Right, it's been put into like movies, plays, operas. There was a Kubrick film. Yeah, one of two movies. It's also considered, at least I believe when I read earlier in a few countries, a banned book. And I'm sure in Florida now it's a banned book too, but... (laughs) Yeah, there's even some arguments saying, like, this has done more harm than good, as some people have used it for justification of their actions. Um, Yeah, a lot of people want it to be a banned book because of... they, They cite it as causing lasting damage created by the child sexual abuse. I think there are some learning aspects of it, like you mentioned earlier, if teenagers read this as kind of signs to look out for of grooming and how people can convince you and manipulate you. That's why I don't think it should be a banned book. I think you can learn some good things from it and things to look out for. Right. If you see this book as a love story, I think you have bigger problems. Yeah. (laughs) I, I don't think the book has really changed you i think it's your perspective that's uh, already a little bit messed up i mean jeffrey epstein named his plane after this book and he called it the lolita express which is pretty messed up great legacy but i don't think that this book 
made Jeffrey Epstein. No, no. <laughs> no. I think uh, Jeffrey Epstein already was already uh, tight and secure into uh, doing his crimes. I guess one could argue, too, like, this novel actually also coined the term for lollycon that is um, basically anime where there are sexualized girl characters, but that idea has existed as well. Just the Lolita existing as a novel gives a name to something. Right, it provides a pointer. It didn't create child sexualization in anime. It is a pointer, as you mentioned. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes Lolita is taken to the terms of where uh, it is a younger girl seducing an older man, Mm -hmm. which Humphrey tries to frame that. Well, that's his victim-blaming aspect, yeah. Yeah, that's his victim-blaming aspect. And so unfortunately, uh, that's come into parlance as that term, even though we know that Dolores was entirely the victim. Yeah. Well, I guess let's cover Humbert's archetype as a villain now that we have his villain's arc established. Well, he's definitely a disturbed figure, I would say. I mean, yeah, we hear throughout the novel that he has evident psychological problems, especially with his inner personality struggles, the two demons inside him, the wanting to be a father and wanting to be a fucker. Right, he can't He can't even fucking decide. He's not good with money. I mean, he, he does all right, but he's not good with money. He has no aim on the road trip most of the time. He's just fighting with himself constantly. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed. All I can think about is fantasies. He's basically living in his head most of the time, and when he's not living in his head, he's not doing great actions. <laughs> yeah. He ends up in multiple psych wards throughout the book and throughout his life. I think it's also interesting. I think you were mentioning earlier off recording that it's because of that conflict in nature, like, we only really hear one side of the Jekyll and Hyde with Humbert, but we know that it's all kind of messed up. He only reveals the Jekyll to us in the book, but he's obviously trying to hide hide from himself, <laughs> mm-hmm. even, I think. Uh, or at least us, the readers, but I think it's also with himself, and that's why he can't ever land upon, like, agreement, or he can't initially go through with his plans on uh, killing Charlotte in the very beginning. I'm sure he would have if he had more conviction and was a little bit less disturbed and was more straightforward like uh, Claire Quincy. Mm. And he only finds that drive from basically rage. So he's definitely a disturbed archetype. And also I would say kind of maybe an authority figure. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, in the role that he takes on by marrying Charlotte Hayes, he becomes the father, the man of the house. And he uses that to not only manipulate Charlotte into getting closer with her daughter, but then eventually after Charlotte dies, manipulating Dolores, saying, if you don't have a father, you're going to go in the system. You know, nobody's going to love you anymore. I'm the only one who can provide for you. Also, constantly throughout the novel, he positions himself into spots of authority Mm -hmm. using his uh, education background to become a teacher, a place with like lots of little children, or even a tutor. Respected member of society, the intellectual. Yeah, the intellectual European. I will teach you. Right. And maybe in a way he's like, oh yeah, I'll teach you. Now, we kind of mentioned this a little bit, but maybe there's... A little bit of the beast archetype, but I kind of like lumped that in a little bit more with like the disturbed. Yeah, I would agree with that. Typically, the beast is like something unleashed and stalking with the tent to kill and instinctually needs to feed. And I think there's like that is 
that one of the wolves inside of Humbert, the one that always wants to fuck the children. And that I think that kind of ties in with the disturbed personality. It's just the more, the, the nastiest side of it. Right. And also, unfortunately, maybe this is like a bonus to bring up, but I think that Humphrey in his head views uh, Dolores as a femme fatale. Also, he poses her as that as narrator by saying she's the one initiating sexual acts and blaming her for like leading him on. Right. Uh, and there's even points where he's like, oh, if I would have known the dark path that uh, she took me down, I would have never interacted with her. Yeah. Even though he is obviously the one yeah. driving literally dolores is not the villain in this story he poses Our, her as yeah one. because we are in humbert's head and he is posed as the protagonist through the narrative we could see how he would blame her in that way but she is innocent and i think maybe uh even before his death he'll go into maybe some moments of where he has the full realization but then sometimes he still tries to lie to himself being like oh but i wouldn't have done that if i had uh not encountered her but he knows that he was ultimately the one that fucked up yeah i guess that's where the disturbed in the beast voice always comes through in the end for him right all right you want to discuss some of his alignments I... oh this one's easy he's fucking stupid he's stupid evil <laughs> i was gonna say he's neutral evil because he just kind of does his own thing in terms of himself but he does also make a lot of stupid stupid decisions he is a dumb motherfucker like before we go to that do you want to explain what stupid evil is because i don't think we've ever had this archetype before yeah he is an exact okay maybe i shouldn't say he a stupid, stupid evil, evil character a stupid evil character is an exaggerated character that feels the need to do evil things even at times when such actions are clearly not in their best interest sometimes to the point where it goes against basic self-preservation and will be like suicidally stupid because it's evil often one of the reasons that these forces of evil uh will never manage to destroy the forces of good so maybe not he's not suicidally stupid because it's evil but he spends money willy-nilly he makes stupid plans and tries to enact them and he's also not cautious no, not at all. We can also say he's suicidally evil when he goes to uh, kill Claire Quincy. True, because he's like, I'll shoot you. I have friends coming over. I'll do it anyway. Right. And gives away his car, gives away his money. Or even there are a few times when he is on the road trip with Dolores. I think there were a few instances where he was violent with her sexually or argued with her and neighbors would knock on his door and go, what the heck is going on? At least in terms of the sexual encounter, they're like, oh, you must have given your wife a good time. He's like, I am a widow. Or if he's arguing with her, they're like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, don't worry this about it. This is how Europeans uh, Yeah, parent. he says dumb things that are red flags to most people around him. Or even uh, trying to do some sexual acts in public and not be caught yeah. with uh, Dolores. So I guess that's where the beast takes over and he does dumb shit. Yeah, and you could say that's because of evil. It's because the evil beast in him. But he has, like, no self-preservation. Like, he knows that if he gets caught... Like, well, yeah, he's also willing to, like, just deplete his savings to drive a child around the country to fuck them. Right, so I, I would say he's stupid evil. Now, I guess I can see neutral evil, too. I can see neutral evil. I mean, that's evil. mostly, like, for me, based on, like, his impulses drive him to his destination. But I think that 
neutral evil brings him into stupid evil because he is so impulse driven. Right. And on some level, he does care about Dolores, which might make him a little bit less neutral evil, but eh, not really. I think he. Might I don't think it be... brings him into any good spectrum. No, I don't think any good <laughs> spectrum, but he's definitely stupid evil. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. He I makes... wonder if we're ever going to have a villain that has, like, that's not evil. <laughs> I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Listeners, if you know any villains that are not evil, tell it to us at committee at worlddomination.ca. Now that we've talked about the horrifying world of Humbert, Humbert, and Lolita... Bleach, 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 bleach. Need a lot of eye bleach. What made you villainous this month? Well, I collaborated with Swedish Intelligence. Ooh, hey. I, I went into the bar, and I put some money on the table, looking for some leads. That led me to a Google engineer, or an ex-Google engineer. As we talked... He gave me some details, and that's when I went to a conference, Hidden Away, in which I learned how to fix esports gambling <laughs> with big data, therefore be able to manipulate the markets. And then finally, as I was going through this conference, I became a well-known name in the underground syndicate of the computer world. You mean of data scientists trying to plug their stuff? The underground syndicate. (laughs) (laughs) And going around being all like, oh, oh, there's Trench. He's coming, he's coming. So basically you talk to a lot of people and they're like, oh, this guy has a funny hat. I'll remember his name. And I learned how to fix esports gambling. (laughs) What made you villainous this month, Praetel? I was also in Sweden. I almost convinced a co-worker to go to a shady club under the bridge. The syndicate owns it. The syndicate owns it. Uh, yeah, no, so we were at a conference in Sweden with some coworkers, and one night after rubbing elbows with the syndicate, we stopped by a bar and asked what is a cool place to go to because the bar was too packed, and the bartender, after a little bit of bribery, told us there's an interesting thing happening under a bridge if you just walk five kilometers this way it was not find that a far. bridge no it did it did feel like a long ways away and we found a bridge and eventually we took this roundabout path and there was this, like euro club happening underneath a highway <laughs> yeah big music lights we had to walk through like a a gymnasium. I don't know why there was a gym under the bridge as well. We a had to walk through a court. parking lot, almost got hit by a taxi to arrive at this club area. And we all really wanted to go. But one of our coworkers was very tired and did not want to pay the cover charge. And we did not want to make sure he got lost in Sweden. So we did not go to the Euro Club under the. We actually, we, we, we went actually... to the Euro Club under the bridge, but we did not go inside. We actually had to get the secret police to uh, go and put him in a black site for the night. <laughs> so that was a that was a trip. And by the time we got him into the black site, I was just so exhausted. I had to go to sleep. And you blacked out on the plane. Yeah. Well, we all made it home in mostly one piece. Well, you did. Did the Swedes leave a chip in your brain? Did they take a chip out of your brain? Four, seven, eight, nine, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, zero, 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 one, one. Well, if you'd like to be a part of the World Domination Committee, follow us on whatever interface you listen to podcasts on and leave us a review. 
Although we've heard there's some problems with leaving a review on iTunes. So you can just infiltrate the Wired with us at worlddomination.ca. Or if you really want to write us, then send us some villainous correspondence to the committee at worlddomination.ca. The syndicate is waiting. The syndicate wants you. You can also read our snarky remarks on the dying hellscape that is Twitter at the WDC podcast. See what shenanigans I'm up to at trin.tech t-r-y-n-n dot t-e-c-h and proliferate the gay agenda by reading what we do in the closet on top us or patreon well that's all fuckers not that kind of fucker this podcast was brought to you by bad baby productions